Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Not looking forward to going to Canada one bit, but we'll play some hockey games and get it over with and then come back. That's sending Calgary with numbers the other way and Pareko, the lone man back. Kachuk to the goal line, Gaudreau, far wing, shot, score, as Bortuzzo ends up sliding into Jordan Bennington and knocked him out of the play. He had no chance to get up and make that save. Flames on the power play. They center and they score. Johnny Gaudreau, and it's 4-1 Calgary, their second power play goal of the game. Left, and now Gaudreau gets behind Mikola, shoots and scores. High glove on Bennington. Johnny Gaudreau just burned right past Nico Mikola towards the end of a long shift, and it's 7-1 Calgary. Canada sucks. Canada does suck, at least for when the Blues go out there. Not in general, Jamie Rivers, I hope you didn't hear that. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. The mouth was bugging him after yesterday, so he's given it a day to rest, and he'll be back with us hopefully tomorrow. Blues are in action tonight as they head to Canada. Why did we come back with that awful return? Well, because for me, T-Bone, this is the next big task, the next big challenge for this Blues team. Road games, specifically playing in Canada. Tonight, they got the Ottawa Senators, where if you don't remember, the Ottawa Senators, they're pretty much out of a playoff spot right now in the Eastern Conference. Still a team that can beat you, but a team that has 38 points, sixth in the Atlantic Division, same amount of points as the Buffalo Sabres. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. Then Thursday, they take on the worst team in the National Hockey League, the Montreal Canadiens. Then on Saturday, they got the Toronto Maple Leafs. Eight of their next nine games will be played on the road. And the next three are all played in Canada. Albeit all played in Canada with 50% capacity. And this is why it's a big challenge, in my opinion, T-Bone. Because of what took place in Calgary, because of what took place in Vancouver, where, yes, they won that game. But if you remember correctly, Tory Krug said after it, probably wasn't the best game that they had played, but they got the win. The last time they were in Winnipeg, it was a loss. Canada seems to be a problem for this team. They got to find a way to overcome that problem, and they have to find a way to strengthen their road dominance like it's been in the past because they play a majority of their games away from Enterprise Center this season. Yes, I understand they struggled against the Devils on home ice, but you have to find a way to 
to check mark this task off on your to-do list before you get into the postseason. Yeah, this is kind of the other, I mean, we talk about defense being the number one issue for the Blues. I mean, that's the one that we've always talked about, but they've had their road woes this season. So it will be interesting to see how they come out and they play in this stretch. They've got eight of their next nine games on the road. The first three are up in Canada, which, as you heard in the return, Justin Falk didn't want to go up there last time. <laughs> I don't so think anybody wanted to go up there. Well, hopefully they're ready to go up there this time around, three games. But it is three bad teams. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, they got Toronto, who's a good team, but then you've got the two bad ones that are coming up. You've got Ottawa tonight and then you've got Montreal as well like you mentioned the worst team yeah you're taking on the 27th the 32nd and the sixth best teams in the National Hockey League so these first two games of this road trip the Blues really need to make sure that they're able to get the points they got to take care of business and you look at the the Central Division I mean you mentioned it in our uh, pre-show meeting the Minnesota Wild won once again last night there are no, you cannot be giving away no. points especially to teams like this these are the games that the Blues have to win whether they are on the road if they are in Canada even if it is 50% capacity up there in Canada the Blues have to find the energy they have to get off to the fast start and they need to make sure that they can take care of business tonight and get things going in the right direction for this first game against Ottawa so I was breaking this down earlier looking at it one I went to the road games and then two I went to the road games played in Canada surprisingly they actually have been better on the road in their last five games this goes back to the start of January which tells you one they haven't played a whole lot of games and two they've played a lot of games on home ice but they won three of their last five games when they were on the road one of those is including the winter classic this is where it gets me though t-bone in those five games they scored 18 goals. Hey, hey. Oh, it's nearly four goals per game. That's pretty good. Yeah, but they allowed 17 goals. Well, I can't say what that is on five air. games. Well, you know what? If you take the seven away from Calgary, it's not as bad as it would seem. But look, prior to the Winter Classic, they're six, six and three on the road. We all know where they stand right now on the road. They got to be better. But this is why I brought it up. It's Canada. They're 2-2 two two this season when they play in Canada. They've got a victory against the Winnipeg Jets, a victory against the Vancouver Canucks. By the way, that victory against Winnipeg was back in November when they won in a shootout. They have a loss to the Calgary Flames, and they also have a loss to the Winnipeg Jets, the 4-2 loss that they had. Here's where my concern is at, and this is why it's a challenge when you're playing in a barely full building We saw this in the bubble. I know people just like to say that that's an excuse. It's hard to build off energy in that atmosphere. And from what I'm understanding, at least the next two games, 50% or less capacity for Ottawa and Montreal. The first game in November, Blue scored two goals on 33 shots. Not bad. The next game in December, two goals on 28 shots. The Vancouver game, three goals and 17 shots. The Calgary game, one goal on 21 shots. You've got to muster more energy. You've got to muster more offense if you're wanting to find a way to put these teams away. Because if you give Ottawa or Montreal any sniff of an opportunity to come into this one like you did against the Devils, they'll make you pay. And you're going to miss out on points which in retrospect is going to probably put you in a wild card spot or fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, and that's why I think the start's going to be important tonight because we, you saw that Dells game. They clearly were, they just didn't have their legs. And I think part of that was the all-star break coming off the all-star break. Haven't played in, I think it was 11 days. So getting the legs back into kind of that game shape. I'm curious to see how they look going into Canada because we've, like we've been talking about, they really struggled the last time they were up there. Can they come out with some energy just to start the game off? And hopefully that's the way that they get going, get off to a fast start, and then it just builds up from there, and then they can build on it through the, throughout this road trip. And Alex, with it being a game day, you know what that means? 
Uh, time for us to talk more about the Blues getting better on. No! Lace them up. It's time to guess the lines with BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I couldn't believe you were so wrong right there. Once, once again, we don't have BK for guess the lines. I think this is going to be simple. I think this is going to be the exact same lineup that they had against the Chicago Blackhawks. Talk about an easy game then. Um, so, hey, you know what? I'm all for 100%. There is a possible turn, which we'll talk about momentarily, but let's go through this. Let's start on defense. Pareko Mikola. Oh, you kill her. Going defense yeah, first. Going Hold defense on, I got first. Fight. Oh, yeah. Hey, very good. Falk and Krug. Now, Perunovic didn't go on this trip. Ruby said Scandella could possibly play. Don't think he's playing in this one. I think you go back to Walman Bortuzzo. All right. Offense. I think this is going to be the same. I think you got Shen O'Reilly, Cairo. I think you got Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich. I think you've got Costin, Sunquist, and Joshua. Wow. Another game that Bozak healthy scratched. And then I think your third line, Barbashev. Peron and Saad. He got it. And your goalie? Jordan Bennington. No, it's I think it's pretty easy for Billy Huso with this one. So that's your Billy lines Huso. in this one. Basically the exact same lineup that you had against the Chicago Blackhawks from Saturday's whim. Here's where it gets interesting. And T-Bone, if you got this audio of... Um, oh, no, we don't need the audio for this one. Craig Berube was asked yesterday because Logan Brown was skating reps with Ivan Barbashev as the third line center, which usually signifies, hey, maybe Logan Brown's going to be getting into the game against his former team, which remember he was traded for Zach Sanford. They're going with Ivan Barbashev in this game. Doesn't surprise me, but Ivan Barbashev right now is in the midst of a seven game pointless streak. We talked yesterday about three guys you got to get going. If you get these guys going, you're going to be a very dangerous team. Those three guys were Tarasenko, Perron, and Sunquist. Add an Ivan Barbashev because Barbashev, what, 15 goals on the season for the Blues? He was on a rampant pace at the beginning of the season. He's dropped off. You got to get Ivan Barbashev going for this final stretch run. And if he is not the guy who put up a total of 34 points in the first portion of the season, then in my opinion, T-Bone, you got to get Ivan Barbashev back to the identity that he was in that Stanley Cup run, a defensive-minded forward who is a spark plug for the offense. Yeah, as long as Barbie's playing solid defense, in my opinion, then I don't necessarily need the goal scoring. I don't, I don't view his goal scoring as I view like Vladimir Tarasenko, where it's like, an eight-game goal is Stroud is kind of, whoa, okay, we need to keep keep an eye on Vladdy, something he's not playing well. For Barbie, long as he stays solid, plays good defense, and he's back-checking, I don't have any issues with Barbershop not goal scoring. The goal scoring, in my opinion, is a plus. So if he can get back onto the scoring sheet, get some points in there, get some goals, then the Blues are going to be perfectly fine. Long as he's playing that stingy defense, though, then St. Louis will be fine on that third pairing. I mean, he, we talked about it, I think it was before the game in which... Uh, Whenever they played last, it's days are muddling together. Thank you, Saturday. Had the third line really needed to get going, and David Prom was the guy to get to kind of get that line going. So he had a goal, and I thought he played his best game on Saturday. I think Barbashev is going to be one of those guys as well that can kind of help get this third pair, that third line going with Saad and uh, Prawn on on both his sides. I hope so. 
We're going to find out in this one tonight against the Ottawa Senators. Puck drop is at 6 o'clock with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I've got your first community credit union pregame show starting at 5. Ottawa Senators coming off of a victory, 5-4-1. and one. You get to see everyone's favorite, Zach Sanford. I was say, is he going to be in the lineup tonight? He's going to be in the lineup tonight. And then, of course, you got the St. Louis native Brady Kachuk playing as well. I want to see Sanford more. Well, you know what? I expect you to be chanting Sanford at some point I tomorrow. Will. I'll go bold prediction. Barbie snaps the scoreless drought. Blues win 4-1, and the only goal from Ottawa comes from Zach Sanford. Look at that bold prediction. Coming up in 15 15 minutes, I think it's pretty obvious there's going to be a shortened spring training. How much of that shortened spring training is going to affect the Cardinals' plans with their roster? We'll get into that in 15 minutes, but coming up next, do you believe... The Blues can play stingy enough defense to overcome these offensive juggernauts in the West. D-Bone and I will discuss that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. over some areas like I said defensively especially that we we need to clean up and and then uh working as a group of five if um we continue to work at that limit team scoring chances it, it's going to make us a lot a lot harder to play against and, and that's what we're looking for we're looking to build that game and and just you know not rely on scoring five goals every night because it's not going to happen and um we just need to make sure that we're, we're prepared for those games when when they're gonna be one zero one uh one one going to the third or late in the game and uh we need to find a way to win that's Justin Falk speaking of this Blues team improving their defense coming off of a performance against the Chicago Blackhawks where, if I'm not mistaken, they allowed the least amount of shots on goal this season. 16 they allowed to Chicago. Villahuso stopped 15 of those 16, and of course they won that game 5-1. to one. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Blues currently 21st in scoring chances against, 26th in high danger scoring chances has not been pretty defensively for this team but it's been an area of emphasis according to Craig Berube to Doug Armstrong at least over the last 10 or so games specifically in the second half of having to improve this area felt like an improvement when they beat the Chicago Blackhawks here's what Mike Van Ryan had to say he was with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale post game once the Blues beat the Chicago Blackhawks well, I like that the shots were kept down. It's something we've been talking about, trying to be a little better defensively, giving our goalies a little better, uh, easier games, um, not so much volume. So that was good. I thought our puck management still wasn't where it needed to be. But, um, you know, overall, we got a lot of a lot of guys and, and uh, played pretty well in front of our goalies. So, T-Bone, the question is, can this team be stingy enough to overcome these top teams in the West? And look, the Blues aren't going to be playing those top teams very much this season. I think in terms of the Central Division, they only play Central Division teams nine more times the rest of the way. They only play Colorado once more, and that's the second-to-last game of the regular (sighs) season. I know, right? If I were to ask you how many games this season the Blues gave up less 30 or less shots how many games would you say out of the 46 that they have played this season well it feels like they give up a lot of shots in just about every game i would say i'll go with like five 
That's my guess. So for 30 or less shots, and the reason I went to that number is there are only six teams in the National Hockey League who are allowing less than 30 shots per game. Blues have had 20 games where they have allowed less than 30 shots. Nearly half, which is impressive. Here's what gets me. Their record, 13-6-1. So when this team is stingy defensively, they're eliminating these top teams, and they've beaten teams. They've done this to teams like the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, some of the top teams that you've played against. The question is, can they do it? And I think that's where everyone seems to fall on. They don't think so. Because if they can get that consistent threat of keeping the opponents to 30 or less shots, they're going to be a tough team to compete against. Yeah, and part of my thought process when we talk about this is, and I know it's a different team, so save the text, but... The identity of the Blues for a very long time defensively was we're not going to give up a lot of shots. I mean, they would they would be the team that held the Blackhawks to the 16 like they did the other night, and it would be constant. I mean, there'd be times where we'd be talking about Jake Allen or Jordan Bennington when he got called up, or Brian Elliott, uh, Brian Elliott, where it was like, oh, wow, they faced five shots in the first period, and the first one didn't come until we were about seven minutes in. And that's just kind of how the Blues' identity was defensively. And I get it that they are changing the guard, and I don't expect them to do that consistently where they only allow 16 a game like they did against the Blackhawks, but they should play very good defensively in the upcoming games and play this stingy defense. And this is the time to really kind of work on it or kind of make it build up this momentum in this stingy defense as you're getting ready to take on some of these weaker opponents. I mean, that's what it was with the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks are not a very good team. Sure, you gave up 16 uh, shots, but part of the reason for that, too, is because the Blackhawks are just not very good. And can they build on that as they're taking on the Ottawa Senators, the Montreal Canadiens? Now, they're going to go up against good teams like Toronto, and that's where it's going to be interesting. Can they play that stingy defense? I would like to think that this defensive core can. I, I truly do. I think Mikola can be a shutdown defenseman. He's still pretty green in the top four. Preko is viewed as the Blues version or somewhat version of a Jay Bomeister, according to Doug Armstrong. I think Robert Bortuzzo is a good, perfect third-pairing defenseman. And then Jake Wallman, you mentioned it, I think, yesterday on the show. Jake Wallman, I, I thought he played pretty well against Chicago, too, for his first game and I don't even know how long. So they have the pieces to be that, but I still think they need to go add that top four guy to even become even more of this kind of stick defensive group because I still view them more of kind of loose and open and maybe part of that does come down to the forwards as well back checking yeah I think they're going to be loose and play that style more than they will be stingy this season like I just don't think that's in their DNA this season if you look at some of the teams that do play that stingy style get the Carolina Hurricanes you got the LA Kings Washington Capitals Boston Bruins Tampa Calgary Vegas all of these teams make a lot of sense but there are also competitive teams who are allowing the same amount of shots on goal per game that the Blues are. The Winnipeg Jets, the New York Rangers, the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers are actually allowing more shots than what the Blues are this season. So I don't think it has to be, oh, well, this team's only going to allow 28, 27, 26, 25 shots on goal per game. I think they can allow those. That's where the confidence in your goaltender comes into play. But I feel like we're seeing the growth of Nico Mikola, Colton Pareko in terms of a pairing. They did a very solid job against the Chicago Blackhawks. But you led me to my next question, T-Bone, because it doesn't seem likely that the Blues are going to be efforting a guy who's going to be playing in their top four. Most More so because these guys are going to cost a lot. Mark Giordano's, Jacob Chikrin's, we've gone through the names before. Zdeno Char is the one that's been tied the most to the Blues. He doesn't scream to me a guy that's going to be playing with Colton Pareko. If you don't acquire a top four defenseman, if you acquire a guy who 
meshes well with Robert Bortuzzo, plays 14, 15, 16 minutes of ice time. Basically, if you acquire a guy who's better than Marco Scandella, does that feel like an upgrade? In my opinion, no, because then we're basically viewing that the the defensive issues that we're talking about where they're giving up a lot of high-danger scoring chances. They are giving up uh, a lot of shots, as you mentioned. I mean, the Blues are currently 21st in scoring chances against and also 26th in high-danger scoring chances. So if we're going to go that route and they acquire defensemen to pair with Robert Bortuzzo on the third pairing, basically the Blues are saying, yeah, the whole reason we were struggling defensively was Marco Scandella, and I just can't buy into that. It's more of a... It's not necessarily just Nico Mikola's fault, but it, I think it is a top pairing issue where Mikola has been inconsistent and Preco has been inconsistent early on in the season. He's been better of late, but he had been inconsistent. And then that third pairing, you have the inconsistency with the Scandella paired with Robert Bortuzzo. I think acquiring a top four defenseman is what the Blues really need. Get someone that can really solidify that top pairing to be more of that shutdown pairing with Colton Pareko. And then if you move Mikla down to the third pairing, because I do believe Nico Mikla can be a top four defenseman. I just don't believe he can get there this year. If he goes down to that third pairing, I feel much more confident in that Bortuzzo-Mikla pairing. But I still even question then of, okay, how much of an upgrade was that truly? I, I just don't know I, I because it feels like we're basically putting the blame on this defense is so bad, or not so bad, but this defense has been bad on one guy, and that's Marco Scandell, and that's just the guy we're going to pull out of the lineup. I, I think he, I think it's looking at it a little differently because I, I think Nico Mikola is a good example of what they need in that top pairing. It's just he's raw, and you got to get to that area with him to where you feel like he can handle the the big time assignments and we've seen times where he has and we've seen times that he hasn't but again I think this team isn't ever going to be stingy defensively I don't think I think it's going to be very rare you see an outcome like you did against the Chicago Blackhawks but I think the way that this team can play stingy is puck possession in their own zone so that's why if they don't acquire somebody, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the 12 o'clock hour of, do you feel, are you concerned? Do you feel like it's a failure if this team doesn't make a trade at the trade deadline? But in terms of this, where they need to play stingier defense, they absolutely do. But I think their stingier defense comes from puck possession in the offensive zone. And if that's the case, I think that's where Mikola and Pareko can be a shutdown pairing for them. The question is, how do you do it against teams like Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota, who also want to play with puck possession? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the biggest issues for the Blues, and I think the reason that you see these numbers where the scoring chances and high-danger scoring chances are in the bottom third of the league is because of the fact of the matter that they have had trouble getting out of their zone. How many times have we been talking about where turnovers, we've exactly. had multiple games where it is turnovers? And that, and that is on uh, Colton Preco at times. That is on Nico Mikola at times. Everybody's been guilty of that at times. So my question is, is there a guy that you – does one guy really fix the issue? I, I look at it and I say, Blues definitely need a top four defenseman, in I, my opinion. I almost kind of wonder if they need to go and acquire a second defenseman as well. But You want two D-men now at the trade deadline? Am I asking for too much? Dude, what are you getting greedy for, man? Sorry. You know, I figured you got Scott can Perunovich. just do everything. He's hurt. You got Jake Wallman. He's Jake Wallman. You got Mark Sco- Oh, whoa. That was unnecessary, T-Bone. We got Marco Scandella, too. It's fine. It's fine. I don't know. We'll get more into this conversation in terms of the (laughs) offseason. If if there is a scenario where the Blues don't make a trade at the deadline, I think there is a scenario. We'll get into that a little bit. On coming up in 15 minutes, we've got questions and answers. So send yours to us on the Air Comfort Service text line at six five seven eight zero. But coming up next, 
How much does a shortened spring training change the Cardinals' plans with their roster? I think it's actually going to have somewhat of an impact, and T-Bone and I will discuss next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. No BK today. Hopefully he'll be back with us tomorrow. I think it's pretty obvious now, T-Bone. It hasn't been stated, but it's pretty much assumed because spring training was what? Technically supposed to be starting today. Pitchers and catchers were supposed to. Look, spring training's not going to be a full spring training. It's going to be shortened. Cry as you may. We think that's pretty obvious. How does that affect the Cardinals and their plans this offseason? Because I think if it was a full spring training, a normal season, the Cardinals Cardinals would be pretty content going into the regular season with Nolan Gorman competing for a spot. I think it's pretty set that Lars Nupar, Juan Yepes were going to be on the major league roster. Brendan Donovan possibly competing for one of those spots. Maybe can impress in a full spring training. Nolan Gorman can do the same. Does that change now with the shortened spring training? Because now it feels like if they're only going to get two weeks to really get work in before the regular season begins, and this is all pending the negotiations, which we'll talk about in just a bit, still doesn't sound great. Does a shortened spring training mean Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan are pretty much destined for AAA to start this year? I don't know if it means they're destined to start there, but it definitely does hurt their chances at uh, making the Major League Cub, Club, Cub, Club, yeah, Club out of spring training. Uh, just because I, it's going to be shorter time, it's going to be a little bit tougher to impress. Brendan Donovan, though, and I could be mistaken on this, and I heard Klaibs talk about this. I, I don't know, never mind. Brendan Donovan is on the 40 man. I was going to say, if he's not on the 40 man, he can be down there now because minor leaguers are starting to report to camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is on the 40 man, so that's not the case for him. But yeah, it. I think there's a chance that you won't see Nolan Gorman up because of the shortened spring training. Now, he can still really impress, and then he may force the Cardinals' hand, but he's going to have less time to do so, potentially, even though it is going to be four uh, weeks that Rob Manfred said that it's going to take for the the uh, four spring training. But you figure a week that's going to be built up, and then you're going to have about three weeks of games would be my assumption. I could be wrong on that. But, yeah, I think it definitely hurts some of those guys' chances because we were talking about this in the office yesterday. You know, if you have a normal spring training, you have a chance for Nolan Gorman to potentially really impress and kind of force his way onto the roster because I think the Cardinals' plan is basically, okay, either you really impress us or you're going to be down in AAA to start the season. And I think that's been their plan all along, and it just gets a little bit harder as spring training gets shorter. Yeah, I, I see, for me, I think it's pretty much written in stone that Nolan Gorman's going to start in AAA for you because I don't think whatever spring training is is enough time for him to steal a spot on the major league roster because what are you fighting for? You're fighting for a DH spot and fill in on second base. I, I don't think you're going to have enough time in spring training to have that opportunity. And I think on top of that... I, I think the Cardinals would prefer to have Nolan Gorman getting continuous reps in the minors before they give him that major league opportunity. I know he had it last year and I know he just dominated last year, which is why you got to get him up here. But if you got Lars Nupar, who's your fourth outfielder, probably going to get DH reps. If you have Juan Yepes, who's on your 40 man roster and pretty much is set in stone that he's going to be getting those DH reps for you. And then you got Edmundo Sosa. You're going to be trying to squeeze in there as well as Andrew Kisner. 
I think this changes a lot with the roster plans. I think a shortened spring training tells them, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, you'll be up here at some point, but we need you to just go down and continue to grow in the minor leagues. Be a AAA superstar for us so that when we need you, we're bringing you up and you're ready to go. You're jumping out immediately. And I think what that can do with their roster plans is possibly look for somebody else to add to their bench that can be a DH weapon. Yeah, I think that's a possibility because we talked about it. Maybe Mo does get tempted if there's a one-year bat that comes out to be on the market. Maybe it's the Jack Peters. Maybe his deal comes down a little bit. But I I think the definite goal is to see Nolan Gorman start the year in AAA and the text from the 6.8. If he comes out and tears up in a short two weeks, is he on the roster? Yeah, he he might be. I, I just don't know how see, the Cardinals will view two weeks because two weeks is such a small sample size because we've seen guys in the past that get really hot for two weeks just in a regular season. So, and how much do you evaluate that towards putting him on a big day uh, opening day roster. If you're gonna, when the Cardinals put him on the opening day roster, they're going to want him to. He's going to have to be getting full time plate uh, plate appearances, getting the reps. They don't want him to sit on the bench and just be up there watching. I mean, that's kind of what Andrew Kisner did. And they think maybe there's a potentially that that could have stunted his growth. Uh, they don't want that to happen for Nolan Gorman. If Gorman's going to be up on the team, he's going to be an everyday player, in my opinion. He's going to be either the everyday DH or he's going to be platooning with and maybe rotating in and out with Tommy Emmon at second base. Or maybe Tommy Edmonds shifts over to short or Tommy Edmonds struggles, and then you put him at second base. I don't think the Cardinals want Nolan Gorman to be up on this roster if he's going to be on the bench and be a bat, especially because with the DH now, there are not a lot of pinch hit opportunities. And, and that's why I, I just he could come up and tear it up for two weeks. I just don't know if he gets that spot still because unless Juan Yepes has an awful spring training and then you're looking at it at saying maybe he's not ready here. But he's on the 40-man roster. I just don't see that happening. So I think Nolan Gorman can tear it up, and that's just more of a case to get him up here sooner. But you're right. You're not going to put the guy on the bench when you have two other probably at-bats that are going to be getting those reps before Nolan Gorman. So whenever spring training starts, which when we get into this topic, you'll understand why I'm still skeptical that's going to be starting anytime soon you're going to get a better idea of what their thoughts are on this. And T-Bone, I know this is something that you were pretty hot on, so I want to let give you the stage here. But we saw yesterday Jeff Passan reporting of ESPN um, on the domestic reserve list, which is basically minor league guys who are fighting for an opportunity to to chase their dreams at the major league level. Minor leaguers, the major league baseball owner side they're wanting to drop that roster plateau which is set at 180 minor league control guys and correct me if i'm not relaying this correctly rosters have 180 players that they control and the owners are wanting to drop that fewer than 150 yes and the players are basically saying hell no to that yeah basically the owners when they sent their proposal this new proposal uh over the weekend it was if you want to basically yeah if you want to even call it that (laughs) stinking owners uh but they they basically off they want to kind of cut down on the amount of minor league players that are in a team system so they they don't have to basically pay them the minimum salary which is a part of the well, negotiation they, they, are on, they are on a different salary they are not on the major league minimum but yes gotcha. it, it would be pretty much a money saving move they want to go down from the 180 to the 150 and they want to have control of it too which is the way i understood it of it would be let's say the cba is a five-year deal at first it would be the 180 and then they would continue to kind of work it down depending on how they feel it i, I just think it's stupid i hate the fact of the matter that they cut two minor league systems for most teams 
uh, just a couple of years ago. I think that was two years ago because mm-hmm. Cardinals used to have, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was five or six systems. Yeah, I think they cut like 30-something teams and, and, out. And they, and they cut out Johnson City, who was their rookie ball team, because now the lowest level is Palm Beach. And then they have Peoria's high A. I think they cut someone else, State College Spikes, they cut as well. So the Cardinals cut two minor league teams. I don't want to see it because that's kind of the groundwork for where things go for Major League Baseball. You know, it takes time to develop. It isn't a sport where it is you get drafted and you're going to make a, a impact right away. No, it takes time to develop. It takes the time of going through the minor league system. And plus, you always get those good stories. I mean, these are guys, there's a bunch of guys that are out there that are making very little money that are, and BT can tell you about it better than I can, but there's guys that make very little money. They're living in a an apartment with like five, six guys sharing potentially one bedroom, and they're eating PB&Js in the minor leagues, and they're trying to work their way up to the majors. And now you've got the owners who are reportedly saying, hey, we don't want to pay these guys in spring training. You've got the owners trying to cut the amount of players that are in the minor league systems. I just think it's a very bad look for baseball, and I don't want to see the minor leagues get cut. I thought when they decided to cut the draft from the, I think it was like 44 rounds down to 20, I just don't get that, and I didn't get it when they shortened it down to five during the pandemic season as well. So nothing like Major League Baseball continuing to get in its way. I think it's just stupid from what the owners are trying to do. So that's just my perspective on it. I I like minor league baseball, and I want to continue to see the game grow. Keep it at the 180. Don't try and shorten, cut your minor league players down. I just don't understand why. I mean, the way that this looks is baseball just doesn't like their own game. I mean, you're trying to cut guys out of it. You're trying to take money away from it. You're trying to tell people to not try and get into major league baseball. It just doesn't make much sense to me. And I urge people um, to, to kind of get a better look at this, which I mean, it's already a, a ugly thing to hear about, but to 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 get a different perspective of it. Britt Garoli of The Athletic, uh, she's a MLB uh, senior writer covering baseball. Uh, she, she she has an article out that she tweeted out about three hours ago, 20 current and former minor leaguers opening up about uh, the offseason and what it is to go through this, begging for charity, working three jobs, couch surfing, deciding on feeding your family or going to chase your dreams in a team's minor league camp. So um, just another feather in the cap of the owners, which is making this thing look uglier and uglier, trying to resolve uh, these negotiations so that baseball can start things up. Coming up in 15 minutes, is there a scenario where the Blues don't make a trade at the deadline? I think so. T-Bone doesn't like it. We'll get into that in 15, but coming up next, send your questions to us on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Questions and answers next on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Comfort Service text line 65780 as we get into our questions and answers with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. We'll be back with us hopefully tomorrow. We got Blues and Senators in action tonight. Six o'clock puck drop. We've got your pregame starting at five here on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this one from the 636. If Benner continues to struggle, what do the Blues do for the playoffs? Do they bring up Chucky Sideburns? I don't see any scenario where Charlie Lindgren is back up with the team unless an injury occurs. Even if Bennington continues to struggle, I just think he rides the bench and Billy Huso gets the starts. And with the back to like if Bennington starts on Thursday and Bennington gets another start, whether it's against the Flyers or the Sabres or the Blackhawks in the month of February, 
if he struggles in those games, then I think you'll see Ville Husso getting the majority of the games and Bennington will get the backups. Or Bennington will get the back-to-back games. I don't see any scenario where Charlie Lindgren gets the call this season other than an injury popping up. Yeah, I'm with you. I only think Charlie Lindgren will get the call if there is an injury. And I think if Bennington continues to struggle, you just ride Ville Husso and you hope that he doesn't get into a cold spell as well at the same time, which I don't think... Look, I think Billy Hussle's numbers are going to come down because his save percentage and his goals against is unbelievable. I mean, he leads the National Hockey League. Unless so, he does what Bennington did. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's possible, but I, I'm going to assume it's going to come down, but I don't expect it to just drop just dramatically where all of a sudden Husso can't stop anything. So if Bennington continues to struggle, to, in my opinion, you can ride Billy Husso in the playoffs, and then you just hope that his struggles don't come at that time and you have to turn the net back over to a struggling Bennington. That's why... It's important to get Bennington going again, just in case Huso does run into some struggles at some point in this stretch. From the 314, boys, do you feel like Tommy Edmond will be the second baseman for the majority of the upcoming season? Assuming they're going to piggyback off of our Nolan Gorman conversation where he gets some reps at second base. I don't really know if anybody other than those two are going to get reps at second base. Brennan Donovan, maybe? Maybe. But I don't see Donovan getting in unless he gets, unless there's an injury. Yeah, uh, and I, I think Sosa could play second maybe a little bit, but that would probably See, be I feel kind like of, he's basically breaking case of emergency yeah, and that's for Paul how, That's DeYoung. how I view... Oh, okay. Well, I was viewing him kind of that way at second base. But, kind of. But see, I think if Tommy Edmond struggles, injured, I think that's when Nolan Gorman gets that door open, and I think Nolan Gorman's there for the amount of time you need him to because that's his everyday at-bats. Yeah, I, I think that Tommy Edmond will get the majority of starts at second base this year just because... The Cardinals are going with this approach of they're kind of changing the guard a little bit of pitching wise where they want to pitch to contact. They want to play solid defense. I mean, hell, they had five gold glovers, so it seems like a pretty darn good approach for them. And that's why they signed Steven Matz. They wanted a guy that was going to get the ground balls instead of trying to strike guys out and walk a lot. They want to pitch to contact. And Tommy Edmond right now I think is probably the better second base option in terms of his defense over Nolan Gorman. I think if Nolan Gorman is going to get a majority of his starts this year, I think it's going to be at DH where he's just getting at bats and getting used to facing major league pitching. And then maybe a year later, you can start to implement him defensively. But right now I think his spot is going to be DH. I do think Tommy Edmond with his gold glove defense, he's a decent hitter. He doesn't get on base a lot, but he's a good double doubles guy. He can hit near the bottom of the order at the top of the order. I think Tommy Edmond will get majority of the starts to second base this season. Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for questions and answers. Let's get to this one from the 636. Alex, did you see the report last night about the Claude Giroux trade sweepstakes? So you didn't see what this text was talking about. Adrian. We're getting Claude Giroux. Adrian Dater, who is a uh, Colorado hockey now avalanche insider. uh, He put a tweet out last night. I'm told that Claude Giroux has made it known to the Flyers GM Chuck Fletcher that Colorado is where he wants to go. If somehow that doesn't work out, Minnesota or St. Louis would be acceptable alternatives. So if you don't know much about Claude Giroux, former Selkie Trophy winner, he was captain, is captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, played under Craig Berube and played with Braden Shem. Here's the thing. 
Giroux plays left and right wing, can be a centerman. He's 34 years old. He's an unrestricted free agent after this season. He's $8.275 million right now. So for less than half the season, probably talking about $4 million in cap space you're trying to acquire. This makes absolutely no sense to me. For the Blues? For the Blues. You're fine at the forward position. You're more than fine. You're set at the forward position. I mean, you're acquiring a guy for $4 million to what? Play your third line so you can push Barbashev to the fourth line? No, that doesn't make much sense. And on top of it, Claude Giroux don't play defense. At least as a defenseman. What about as a forward? He's a great defensive forward, oh. but you don't really need that right now. Oh. I, I Look, if, if, if they were able to get Claude Giroux for a second round draft pick and find ways somebody for eat to salary would would be awesome because that just strengthens your depth down the middle. I think he would be playing in your top nine, which would essentially force an Ivan Barbashev to be playing on your fourth line, which is not a bad thing, but I don't see this happening. I see Colorado being aggressive for him because Colorado, they don't need defense. They need offense. Not like they need offense, but depth helps. And I see Minnesota possibly getting in on him. So, no, I don't see a scenario where this makes any sense. If you want to investigate it in the offseason when he's an unrestricted free agent, maybe you look into it. But trade deadline, I think the focus solely needs to be on defense. Yeah, I'm with you. At the deadline, the focus needs to be on defense. I don't think the Blues, we've talked about it at times of a team adding to a position of strength. Do you do that? Maybe just become even deeper at that? I don't think the Blues need that. I mean, already having three solid lines, there's hardly any other team in the National Hockey League that can say that about their team like the Blues can. So defense needs to be the focus. I do believe Colorado is probably where Drew's going to go because they've been connected to him since like the very beginning of the season when the first rumor started to trickle out about the trade deadline. They've always been linked to him. I do believe that Colorado will figure a way to go get him. Uh, Alex, I got one more for you here. (laughs) From the 618 Guys, do you have fears that uh, Jordan Biddington is trending towards Matt Murray territory? Of course, Matt Murray in that yeah, tonight for a... the Ottawa Senators. He won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins before he had to be uh, sent down to the minors. Now he's back up with Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Look, Matt Murray, his first couple of years with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he was very solid. I mean, his first season, played 13 games. This isn't in the playoffs. This is the regular season. He was unbelievable in the regular or in the postseason for them, and he dropped off a little bit. I'd be a little concerned that it's like a Matt Murray situation because Matt Murray's kind of in the same spot as Jordan Bennington. Murray was a third-round draft pick, uh, came up, maybe was a benefit of the team in front of him, and when the team changed in front of him, they started to struggle a little bit. This is so hard for me as a hockey analyst because I'm personally like connected to Bennington because I've seen his work ethic. I've seen his mentality. I think he's got the confidence to right the ship. It's just a matter of getting that first win under his belt. And unfortunately, it just hasn't gone this way. So, no, I don't think he goes Matt Murray direction because unfortunately for Matt Murray, I mean, he really hasn't been able to get it back this season. He hasn't been horrible for Ottawa. He's got a 922 save percentage and a 258 goals against. So, no, I don't think he's Matt Murray. I think he I don't think he's ever going to get back to himself from that Stanley Cup championship. But I think he could get back to the guy that won 30 games in 2019. Like it or not, he's going to get those opportunities for you. Yeah, I I don't think he's Matt Murray. He is kind of trended a little bit that way, but I don't think he's Matt Murray. I don't think he'll have to be a guy that ends up going down to the minors to get things right. I think it's just one of those uh one of those ruts where a goalie goes through every goalie goes through it it's taking a little bit longer for him to get out of it 
and it's just confidence thing. I think, I think Panger mentioned that to, uh, yeah, today on Character about and Smallman. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you missed the interview, you can check it out one hundred one ESPN.com. But I don't I don't think he's going to have Matt Murray thinkers. I, I agree, he's probably not going to get back to that Cup run form. I mean, that's just it's, asking it's, for yeah, way it's too untouchable. much. Untouchable. But I do think he can be that twenty nineteen guy again, or just a little bit below that twenty nineteen guy, where he can be a twenty eighth to thirty win goalkeeper yeah. and have really good goals against him and a safe percentage. Yeah, we're getting a lot of texts that say he's more of a Cam Ward. Cam Ward, of course, of the Carolina Hurricanes. Cam Ward, good. I- he had one great year. I mean, if you look at his regular season numbers, he wasn't that great. I, I think he, I, I personally think Jordan Bennington's going to be better than what Cam Ward was because Cam Ward was average. I, I just think this is a dry spell right now for Jordan Bennington. And I think here's what I see happening. And Panger talked about this with Carriker and Smallman, and we got a break and we'll come back and talk the defense here. Here's what I see happening. Huso's going to go on a run. Huso's going to be doing what he's doing at some point. Huso's either going to get dinged up or he's going to go through a little bit of a rut because goalies go through this. Panger said this. Panger's been in this spot. That's the moment that Bennington comes back in. The moment that Bennington knows the team needs him, that's where I feel like the confidence is is shook and then it gets strong again. I think right now it's just a matter of Bennington's going in between the pipes and it's, okay, I have to be perfect. If I'm not perfect, then Huso's going to get the net again. When there's no other options, that's where I feel like Bennington will shine i.e. I. what he did in that 2018-2019 season. So, no, I think he's better than Cam Ward. Um, but I guess it remains to be seen. we got to see him start to turn in another direction. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, Rick Hummel of the Post-Dispatch put a really interesting number projection out here for a current Cardinals outfielder. I don't know if he can get to this level, but if he can... That's going to be really beneficial for the Cardinals. We'll touch on that in 15, but coming up next, do you see a scenario where the Blues don't make a trade at the deadline? We'll get into that here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is there a moment where maybe you waited too long? Because now when Doug Armstrong or... GM X, Y, or Z go to pick up the phone and call a team about it. Oh, yeah, you thought it was, you thought the asking price was a second round, right? Today it's a first rounder and a prospect. Oh, but wait, you said, nah, I know, I changed my mind because I saw just how badly you need this player. And so I've changed the asking price. It was Jamie Rivers from the Fast Lane discussing Doug Armstrong looking to acquire a defenseman and possibly missing that window as the prices could be going up now because the Blues look like a desperate team that need help on defense. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. No BK today will be back with us tomorrow. Is there a scenario where the Blues don't make a move at the trade deadline? And I ask this with the knowledge of knowing what took place in 2018-2019. Now, I don't think this is a similar situation because at that time, your team was playing really well in the midst of an 11-game win streak coming from the bottom back into a playoff picture. You don't want to mess with the chemistry. They made a small move, got Michael Delzato. That was it. This is a different case. It's pretty obvious that the Blues need help defensively. But I go back and reference a Pierre Lebrun piece that he put out a couple of days ago discussing the trade deadline with Doug Armstrong, him talking about weighing the options of acquiring somebody and giving up the piece that would have to acquire that individual. 
The top guys are the top guys. We talked about them. Giordano, Chikrin. We go through the names all the time. This is why I see a scenario where they don't make a move at the trade deadline. Because of what Jamie Rivers said there. Why? Why? I know. I know. I, I apologize for upsetting people here. Somebody even texted on an area comfort service text on 65780 said this better be damn good, Ferrario, because they need to make a trade. Yeah. It might not be good, but... If the price is astronomical for these defensemen, especially if they're rentals, I don't want them to make a trade. I don't want you to have to trade all of these assets to bring in a Mark Giordano. If you can find some common ground with Seattle and get him for a couple of draft picks, then do it. Take advantage of the market. Get the guy. But a lot of teams need help defensively. And some teams are going to be willing to spend way more than what they need to for a guy to help you get into the playoffs. And here's my question. If you're not getting Giordano, if you're not getting Chikrin, if you're not getting Ben Sherratt, the top guys, does the next step down, does that make it better than what you have right now? I don't think so. Because Zdeno Chara loves Zdeno Chara, but Kevin Kurtz, who covers the New York Islanders, he put a piece out on The Athletic today talking with a bunch of scouts around the league And a couple of scouts told Kevin Kurtz, Chara would be a great complimentary piece to add to your third pairing, play somewhere between 12 and 14 minutes a night, shut down a couple of penalties. He brings in aggressiveness. He brings leadership, but he's not what he once was. Is that an upgrade over what you have right now? I mean, it might be better than Marco Scandella, but from the mindset of the Blues fans, it's got to be a guy to play with Colton Pareko or bust. And if you're not getting Giordano or Chikrin or Ben Sherratt, which I don't know if those guys, I mean, those guys are probably playing with Colton Pareko. I don't think the next step below those three are better than Nico Mikola in terms of his progression. Yeah, see, I, I, I think if you're looking to acquire a guy to put on the third pairing, I, th- I think it's the wrong approach. I mean, it's a little bit of an upgrade, but I think it's the wrong approach. I, I think the Blues do need a top four defenseman. I think you need to try looking, not necessarily the Jacob Chicken. I think we can rule him out. I mean, we've seen kind of what the proposals are for him. Seems too steep of an asking price. I think the risk that the Blues are going to run into is potentially waiting to see if those prices drop by the trade deadline, which I think some of those rentals prices will. But will they be pick, picked up at the trade before that trade deadline comes? So I think the Blues need to get a move done sooner rather than later, and I think it needs to be a top-four guy. I think if you get a Chara, it's an upgrade, but I don't think it's a substantial upgrade because he's going to slide into that third pairing as you just talked about. He's going to be a guy that, sure, he'll bump Scandella out of the lineup, but he's not going to be pairing with Colton Prego to be the shutdown guy. But the idea of if the Blues don't make a move because the asking price is too steep, I think it's a failed trade deadline for the St. Louis Blues. This team is too good and clearly has one hole, and it is defense, and they need to make a move. They need to go upgrade the top four. If they go- if they decide to sit back because the asking price is too steep, I just think it's a bit of a failure. And, and part of my thinking into that is I know we talked about it heading into the shortened season in, uh, what was that, 1920? I thought the defense was a problem then, coming off of the cup run. I Losing Petrangelo, I thought the defense was a problem. It ended up being. Remember, they had trouble clearing guys out in front of the net. We talked about it a lot. They had that issue, and they had issues going to the front of the net. They solved the issue of going to the front of the net by signing side and acquiring Buchnevich this offseason. And again, they didn't address the defense this past offseason. In my opinion, the defense has been an issue for a season and a half now, and I think it is time for them to go make that upgrade, and sitting back and not doing it at the trade deadline would be a failure in my opinion. So this was Pierre Lebrun's quote in his article. I think the Blues will kick tires on the rental players such as Mark Giordano, Ben Sherratt, among the others. But what I don't think you'll see is St. Louis paying a high price. 
the the price is going to be high. It just depends on how high you're going with this one. I.e. Jake Neighbors, Zachary Bolduke, and I'm seeing a ton of people text in on the Air Comfort Service text line right now. If the Blues do trade for top guys by trading their top prospects and they end up winning the cup, do you still feel like it's much of a reward in the cup? Of course I do. Because if you trade away a guy and you get a cup, guess what? You accomplished your feat. But that's when you get a guy with term to where you know you're going to have him for that run again. Ben Sherratt, Mark Giordano, those guys probably aren't going to be back here after this season. And this Western Conference is going to be so difficult that I don't know if one guy makes that much of a difference for you. And unless you're getting like Mark Giordano, the perfect acquisition for this team. If it takes a first and a third round pick, pull the trigger. I don't doubt Doug Armstrong would pull the trigger on that, but I don't think that's what it's going to go for. We just saw Tyler Toffoli, who, yes, he has term on his contract. He's a forward, not a defenseman. But if you're Seattle, you're going to be asking for top dollar. And if you've got five or six teams fighting for him, you're going to take the best offer there. And I just don't know if Doug's going to get into a bidding war with this one. But this also ties into another conversation that I wanted to bring into the trade piece. And Tanner, you texted me this yesterday. This was from Corey Pronman, who covers prospects uh, in the National Hockey League for the Athletic. And he put a piece out that basically was people giving him trade scenarios and him saying if a team says yes or no. So, understand it's just his perspective it's not the actual general managers doing this somebody proposed jacob chikrin to st louis for marco scandela scott perunovic jake neighbors and a first round pick in 2022 Corey promen says two different executives one from st louis one from arizona both say no to that surprising because that's an awful lot for jacob chikrin but this is what Pronman said. I think this is what it's going to take to get Chikrin. I like both Perunovic and Jake Neighbors a lot, but neither are considered elite young assets by NHL personnel. I would do this deal if I were the Blues and believed in Jacob Chikrin. Are we overvaluing J- uh, Jake Neighbors and Scott Perunovic in terms of if you trade one of these guys, you can get the best dog out there in the trade market? Well, based on the way he evaluates it, maybe we are because I, I think, I mean, we're looking at potentially trading away. I think we've talked about it. Jake Neighbors is going to be a top six forward for the Blues at some point, uh, potentially in his career. I mean, look at, he earned his way onto the roster this year at, what is he, 18, 19 years old, and he got sent back down to juniors just because they wanted to get him playing time. I mean, that's pretty impressive for a kid coming into his first training camp with the St. Louis Blues. And Scott Brunovich, it's tough to evaluate him. I think maybe we over or over assess him right now because of all the injuries. I mean, look, we've, I think we all see his ceiling is probably similar to what Tory Krug can be, but the issue is, is he's had, he missed all of last season due to injury. He's missed a lot of this season due to injury, and he hasn't played a whole lot. So maybe we are. I, I think if you were Arizona, I think you look at those two guys and you could potentially build a franchise around both of them, or at least they would be a crucial part of it. So I, I think if you were Arizona, you would want to make that deal. But again, I, I just don't know if the Blues want to give up that kind of assets to go acquire a Jacob Chicker. Yeah, I mean, I think Jacob, I think Jake Neighbors is better valued by the Blues and other teams in the National Hockey League. And I think this is a lot like Jordan Cairo. I mean, I remember on prospect rankings over the time that Jordan Cairo was in the minors, people looked at it as, man, he's okay, he's average, and then look at what he's doing right now. He's a point-per-game player in the National Hockey League. I think that's what Jake Neighbors will be for this Blues team. I think he, I think his career 
is defined by a Craig Berube system where teams might not look at him as a top six forward, but he might be that guy for the Blues. Scott Perunovich, it makes sense that maybe he's overvalued by us in St. Louis because of all the hype we've heard. Other people around the National Hockey League look at a small defenseman who's got an offensive mind but has also been injured a lot. So that's that's probably where the value comes in for a Scott Perunovich. The highest guy that's probably on value in terms of a trade is Zachary Bolduc, the guy that they just drafted 17th overall in this past draft. That's the guy who is probably going to be a want by other teams if you're going to go get a Mark Giordano. I don't think that gets Jacob Chikrin. I I think there's more that goes into it. But if you want a Mark Giordano, if you want a Ben Sherrod, it's probably going to take a first-round draft pick and then maybe a prospect like this. I'm fine with that. But I also think other teams are going to jump into that race, and that's where it gets too expensive. And if you got to take a step down, I don't know if those guys are more of an upgrade over a Marco Scandella, Scott Perunovich, Jake Wallman, Nico Mikula core that you have in place right now. That's where I come back to, I don't know if Doug Armstrong pulls a trigger on a trade if it's too expensive and he feels like what he's getting is not better than what they have in place or is at the same level of what they have in place. Yeah, I agree with that. But then I think he has to kind of get to where he has to make a deal above the uh, the Marco Scandella type. If he if he evaluates someone to be better than Marco Scandella and can potentially slide into that top pairing with Colton Pareko, I look, you have to play your cards carefully. But I, I think if it ends up, he ends up getting to a pew point, he says, oh, I really didn't want to throw in this asset. I almost think he has to. I, yeah. I think he has to make a move to improve this defense. And that's being aggressive. Because I, I said this yesterday. Right now, who's the team to beat in the West? I would say it's Colorado. I, I think know there's, people would say Vegas, too. Eh, I, I want to see Jack Eichel with the team before I decide on if they're a team to beat in the West. Right now, I don't think the Blues can take down Colorado in a best-of-seven series. You mentioned, can you acquire anybody that puts you above the top of the Western Conference? My opinion, probably not. But you can at least acquire somebody where I think you have a fighting chance to take down Colorado in best-of-seven. Again, right now, I do not think they can take down Colorado in a best-of-seven. I think they stand a chance against pretty much everybody else in the Western Conference. But Colorado is a team to keep an eye on because you're either going to play them potentially in the first round if you're a wild-card team, or you're going to meet them in the second round if you're able to survive your first-round series if you get the top three in the Central Division. We'll talk more about this with Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic Blues Insider. He's going to join us at 1 o'clock. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's 12 7 your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in 15 minutes, are there any teams in the NFL that you think can pull off and be successful with the Rams all-in approach this offseason? We'll get into that around 1230, but coming up next, Rick Hummel put a projection out there for Dylan Carlson at his peak. How fast can you get to this peak, and is it enough? We'll get into that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Out to deep right. It's at the wall. Gone. The rookie, Dylan Carlson, home. The St. Louis bullpen. The 1-1. And Carlson sends a fly ball out to deep center. It's at the wall. Nice to hear the sounds of baseball as Danny Mac, it's Cardinal baseball, not officially back. 
Although it's should have been yesterday. Things. It's fine. No big deal. With Tanner Tenderson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll back in June. <laughs> Maybe August. Maybe a full year. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. Can Carlson remember. reach the peak this season for this team to have that fourth impact bat. I think it's pretty obvious they have the three impact bats. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill. Oh. Not Harrison Bader. Nope, BK's off today. He'll be back tomorrow to talk about Harrison Bader being an impact bat. You're you're you're, you're playing a lot of ifs with Tyler O'Neill being the third impact bat, but we all saw the signs of a guy who's trending in the right direction. They need that fourth impact bat to put themselves into World Series contender. The same conversation you're having with the L.A. Dodgers, although they've taken a step back. The question is, can Carlson get to that? Rick Hummel was asked about this in his chat on the Post-Dispatch, what he thinks Carlson's numbers could be in his prime. This was Rick Hummel's response. I see Carlson as a 280 to 290 hitter, 25 to 30 home runs, and 90 RBI potential. The last figure, depending on where he hits in the lineup, I want him to steal more bases, and he should be a 10 to 15 guy in that department. All signs, all numbers of a fourth impact bat that would be hitting second for you on this Cardinals team. The question is, when does he get there? Because me personally, T-Bone, 280-290, I think he can get there. I don't think he can get to 30 home runs. And depending on where he hits, I don't know if he's a 90 RBI guy. I don't think that's this season either, which is why I've been pining for another bat because I think you need a bridge bat to get them to Dylan Carlson's prime. Yeah, I, I think Carlson could potentially get there this year, especially if it's a shortened year. Uh, but I think it's probably more likely he's there in 2023. But I do expect Dylan Carlson to have an even better season than he did last year. I mean, last year he hit... Uh, 266, 18 homers, 65 RBIs, and had a 780 OPS, and he missed time, too. Have you seen his projections for this upcoming season? His projections are a little bit lower, but his his projections are lower because they're going to have to factor in his 2020, and that's part of it. And (sighs) 259 batting average, a 763 OPS with 16 home runs and 61 RBIs. He'll be better than that. You gotta. You better hope so. I, I know so. I, I Dylan Carlson will be better than that than his projections because guy. he is the guy that most said you're gonna have to prime out of my cold dead hands. Cardinals view him highly as one of the elite outfielders that will be Albert Pujols. No, they didn't comp him there. That's Jordan Walker. That's the wrong young guy. Uh, but he he will be better than those projections because I do believe he's going to be about a 275 hitter this year. I think his power numbers are going to be up even more. He could get to about 23 home runs this season and probably the 75 RBI mark, in my opinion. I mean, I just think he's going to continue to build off of what he did last year. I mean, we didn't talk a lot about him last year because you had Tyler Tyler O'Neill break out. You had Harrison Bader play pretty consistent offense when he was in the lineup last year. We didn't really talk a lot about Dylan Carlson. I mean, Dylan Carlson finished third in Rookie of the Year voting. I mean, he was solid, and he was pretty consistent for a big majority of the year for the Cardinals. He had a little bit of a stretch in, I think it was July, August, where he went cold there for a little bit, but he was able to right the ship, and and that's kind of what I expected from him last year. He was going to be a guy that would maybe go up and down in his first full rookie season, pretty much stayed up. Only had a few times where he would go, had the little one, two-week span where he was just struggling at the plate. I expect him to be better, be a little bit more consistent this next season. Will he get to those numbers that Rick Hummel said this season? Uh, potentially. I don't know if he will. I think it's going to be another year before that. But he is that fourth impact bat that I think the Cardinals are banking on to be. I think that's why 
we talked about them going to get Trevor Story, which I think made a ton of sense because then you have your shortstop blocked up long term. Or Kyle Schwarber, as I know you're big on him as being that DH bat for the Cardinals, but he's going to want four years. You have Dylan Carlson. It's just can he get to become that fourth impact bat for you this season? It, I think he's got probably two to three more years before he's at that number. I, I think, I mean, you're talking about a 23-year-old who's played one and a half seasons as an everyday major leaguer. And that half season was he was up and down, that shortened 2020 season. I think he's going to get there. I think it's going to be a matter of time, but I still think you're a couple of years away. And what I don't want is I don't want to go into the season where you're expecting that from Dylan Carlson, because I think if you do that, that's going to put a lot of pressure on a 23 year old. That's why I would love to see a bridge bat. Maybe it's a one year signing. Maybe it's two years. I don't think you can get Kyle Schwarber for two years, but he's the ideal one. I'm not even opposed to a Nelson Cruz. That's been the guy that BK's talked about. I know I joke around about it a lot that he's old and he needs a walker. But look, he's that bridge bat for me. One, to take the pressure off of Dylan Carlson. And maybe he likes the pressure. Maybe he'll perform that way. But Nelson Cruz is a guy that I can have as my fourth impact bat. And then if Dylan Carlson gets there, great. But I signed Nelson Cruz to a one-year deal so that I don't have to worry about where is he going to play after this season. Because if Carlson performs, if Gorman's up, if Jordan Walker's taking steps forward, if Juan Yepes looks like a definite bat for you, then you could just walk away, you wash your hands of it. But if none of like if Yepes isn't the guy, if Carlson doesn't get there, if you're relying on somebody to be that fourth bat like you were this past season, I think that's where you could get yourself into a world of hurt. Yeah, I, I just think Carlson, again, I don't know if he'll get to these pro- what Hummel says because Hummel's projecting his uh, prime, and he's maybe another year or two from that. But I think he's going to be very similar to what he was last year, probably a little bit better than last year. And the other thing that we haven't really talked, I mean, we've mentioned it a little bit. I mean, the top four hitters are set for the Cardinals. You've got Goldschmidt, Arnato, O'Neill, and now we're talking about Dylan Carlson. Can he become a fourth impact bat with the 25 to 30 home runs and be a guy that can drive in like 80 RBIs? I believe he can't. But who's that fifth guy for the Cardinals this season? Because I think the top four in the lineup is set. Whether fans like it or not, you're going to see potentially Carlson slash Goldie hit leadoff. That's right. I said Goldie. I think Carlson will be two in my in my lineup. I'd have Goldie one, Carlson two, Arnato, O'Neill. But then who's that fifth guy in this lineup? It, it feels like a top-heavy lineup with a pretty good bottom half in terms of Tom Yedman, Harrison Bader being down in that mix. But who's going to be that fifth guy? Is it Paul DeYoung? Is it a Juan Yepes slash Lars Nupar at DH? Where does Yadier Molina fit into the to this lineup? So it feels kind of top-heady one through four. They're also looking for kind of that fifth guy. And I don't want to sound greedy like, oh, we need a 30-home run well, guy. You already want two fit. defensemen at the trade deadline yeah, for the Blues. Yeah, we could get two defensemen. That would be great. Just easy on the greediness. The fifth bat... The fifth bat, I'm more curious just of who is going to hit fifth for the Cardinals this year. Yadier Molina. If Carlson and Goldie are up at the top. That that's where my question mark comes into, and that is also you know Carlson can he be that impact bat? I believe so, but that fifth guy is going to have to be just as important as well. We'll see. Hopefully, we get to have these conversations sooner rather than later. But I, I've stuck to it. I, I still think you need that bat at least for one year to uh, bridge that gap in terms of offense so that you can take some of the pressure off some of those guys that you're relying on to have significant improvements, and maybe they significantly improve because of the management changes in terms of the dugout with Ali Marmol and now more of a voice from Jeff Albert. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get into the junk drawer coming up in 15 minutes, but coming up next, are there any NFL teams that you feel like could go with the Rams all approach this offseason? And could any of them work? We'll get into that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
ESPN. We've got the junk drawer coming up in our next segment. 1236, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Jeremy Rutherford joining us at 1 o'clock. Dan McLaughlin joining us at 1.30 today here on BK and Ferrario. No BK this afternoon. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Hopefully. Hopefully. His lip hurt after, to, after yesterday. And I don't blame him. I've been through something like that before. It's not very fun. I haven't I am got nothing. Yeah, it's all right. You'll figure it out at some point. You'll be an adult one day. I hope not. Are there any NFL teams that you think can pull off the quote-unquote, I hate that we're calling it this now, but they're the team that did it, the Rams approach, where you go all in for one season to win that Super Bowl. And look, the Rams have Matthew Stafford. If Aaron Donald is back, they have Cooper Cup. They got pieces in place to continue to do it again. Hopefully not. Is there a team right now in football that you feel like can do that this offseason and pull it off? Because there's one that comes to mind for me, and I think it's probably one that everyone would say, probably shouting at the radio right now. You want to say it on three with me, T-Bone? Yeah. yeah. One, two, three. Jaguars. Okay, that's not it at all. No, it's the Buffalo Bills. I think if there's one team that's going to pull off the Rams all-in approach this offseason, it's the Buffalo Bills. Now, they're not going to go all in for a quarterback because that's what the Rams did, and it worked for them. They got their quarterback. They should move on from Allen. I don't think that's a smart idea. Go get Brady. No, 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 we're not going to do that. But I think if you're the Bills, you could go all in in another area. Like one that comes to mind here, I'd go all in for a running back. Go get yourself Leonard Fournette in the offseason. I know BK hates running backs. I kind of do, too. The running game wasn't that I great. Saw, I saw it with Todd Gurley. You know, it was great, and then it yeah. fell off, and it was like, yeah. nah, you really Todd don't Gurley, need one. Todd Gurley's a bad, uh, a bad comp for that one. But they're a team that could go all Is there any other ones that come to mind, T-Bone, that could go all in this offseason like the Rams approach? Uh, I think Buffalo is the one that really just kind of sticks out to me because, I mean, we talk about Josh Allen. I mean, he had question marks heading into the playoff game against – just heading into the playoffs in general – and he silenced that with his performance against New England, and he silenced that against, uh, most importantly, against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and they lost because they didn't get the ball in overtime. So Buffalo's definitely the number one team for me. Other than that, I don't know if there really is a team that can kind of go with this all-in approach. I know Green Bay's kind of talking about doing it, but they're like $50 million over they, in cap yeah, space. Yeah, they can't because they have no cap space to go all-in. Yeah, the text line brings an interesting one from the 314, the Baltimore Ravens. I think if they're healthy... They are a team that is going to be back in, I don't know about contention, but they will be in that second tier of teams in the AFC. So they might be someone to potentially keep an eye on. But I, don't know how opinion, they could, I don't know how they could go all in and be better than the Chiefs or the, the Bills. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Is how I mean, it would take probably multiple moves. Now, granted, they don't all have to be done in the offseason. You kind of take those steps yeah. towards it. And you can go at what the Rams did in the, uh, at the trade deadline. You can go get someone like a Von Miller that can help you upgrade. But I think Buffalo, in my opinion, is the only team that could really kind of go with this all-in mentality. And I think that would be kind of where you can put them over the top of the Chiefs because they're not going to be, in my opinion, above the Chiefs until they're able to beat them and prove it. But if they can have a good offseason, go kind of all-in on where they need to upgrade, then I think you can talk about Buffalo being the team to beat in the AFC. A lot of people are bringing up Tennessee. And here's the thing about Tennessee. Yeah, they obviously make the most sense, but where are you going all in? 
I think if you're the Titans, the Titans are interesting. The only reason that I didn't look at them, and, and maybe I looked at it wrong, because you can win with kind of that second-tier quarterback. I mean, look at the Rams. They just did it with Matthew Stafford. He's he's not a top-five quarterback. He's in that second tier. I would put Ryan Tannehill in that tier. They would probably have to look at upgrading the defense probably is where it's at. Because yeah, you're going all in on defense. Defensively, their numbers are a little bit down this year. I mean, offensively, you've got Derrick Henry. You've got A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. I mean, those guys weren't healthy for a good chunk of the season. But if they're healthy, I mean, offensively, you have the weapons in place. It's just can that defense get to a kind of a San Francisco 49ers level? And, and that's, in my opinion, is where they have to be. Because the 49ers, they have that average quarterback in Jimmy G. That defense was what got them to the NFC Championship game. It wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo that did it. And they had weapons on offense. They had uh, uh, they have Debo Samuel. They had Brandon Ayuk. Who's the running back I'm forgetting? They have George Kittle. Um, oh, Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell and uh, Raheem Mozart. Mozart. Yeah, so 49ers have the weapons on offense, but they have a really, really good defense, and that's what got them to the NFC Championship game. So if you're the Titans and you want to go that all-in approach, it's probably going to be on the defensive side of the ball because you've got the weapons offensively. You have the average quarterback. Can you build a defense that's going to be almost untouch or unstoppable to where they can get to the quarterback they can force teams to kind of try and beat them and you just can't because they're so loaded defensively. Here's the thing. All of these teams that we're getting on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780, all of the teams that we're discussing, they're in the AFC. And I don't know if teams can go all in on the AFC and make me believe they're better than the Chiefs or the Bills. And I know that I know that the Bengals just beat the Chiefs, and the Chiefs beat the Bills, so the Bengals are a perfect example of a team doing that. But I think if you're looking at it in a normal offseason, the Bills are going to improve, the Chiefs are going to improve, they're going to be right back in the conversation, and then you get the Bengals there. But you also have the Chargers, you also have the Ravens, you also have the Colts, you also have the Titans. There's a lot of teams in the AFC. I think the way to go with this is the NFC, because the Packers can't go all in. You know the Rams basically have their team in place, If you're an NFC team and you have cap space, if you're an NFC team that feels like, okay, we have significant pieces. San Francisco is a great example that you just talked about. The Dallas Cowboys are another one. If you're in the NFC, you have to look at this as we have an opportunity where there's one clear-cut team that is everyone's favorite. And now with Tom Brady out of the picture, this is our opportunity to go all in and try and get to that Super Bowl, i.e. what the Rams just did. Yeah, the NFC would probably be the easiest way to do it. But the problem is, is I just don't know if there's a clear-cut team that would make those moves. Like the AFC, we can point to them because it's easier because you're going to go all in because you have to top a giant in the Kansas City Chiefs. And in the NFC, I, I think a lot of those teams are going to view it as, okay, we just make one upgrade and we could potentially be on the same level as the Rams. Because the NFC, minus the Rams, the Cowboys, and the Green Bay Packers, assuming they bring back Devontae Adams. But even then, they could be a little different because of their cap situation. I think you look at those three teams and you say, okay, they're the best in the NFC. You could put maybe Arizona in this conversation, too, depending on how their offseason goes with Kyler. Arizona's got a lot of problems. (laughs) But but the NFC is wide open to me to where, like, I don't even know if you necessarily have to go all in to go win in the NFC. Now, maybe for the Super Bowl, that's a different conversation, I think. But I think in the AFC, there are teams that you look at and you go, okay, we have to make big moves if we won't even try competing in this AFC, as you mentioned, because you've got the Chiefs and the Bills that are sipping, sitting atop the uh, conference. I mean, I've seen a couple on the text line. Denver, Denver's a good one to throw in here. If they can go get just a quarterback and maybe a little bit of an upgrade offensively there as well, then maybe they are a team that you keep an eye on. So 
I, I just think it's going to, if it, any team is going to do it, it's probably going to come from the AFC. And I think Buffalo is the team that should really consider doing what it. What about the flip side of this? What about the Bengals approach? Maybe not it's the approach, but a team that drafted fifth overall and then comes into the next season and gets to the Super Bowl. Is there a team that gives you the belief that they can do a quick turnaround? Here's your top six picks this season. Get the Jaguars, the Lions, the Texans, the Giants, the Jets, the Panthers. Is there a team in those six that you feel like can have that significant of a flip in the offseason? Because we all know there's no quarterbacks that's going to be drafted that's going to have that big of an impact, at what, least from what, what we're what projecting. Kenny Pickett? I don't think Kenny Pickett's. I mean, I think I last saw his projection was eighth overall. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, but I don't think he's going to be turning things around that significantly. I don't think there's a team. I really don't. The Panthers are the only one that I'd be curious in, but they don't have a quarterback. Yeah. And, and they'd have to kind of do a little bit of both. Quick turnaround with a big draft pick. And, and also in go all in by trading first round draft picks, which I don't think you can do both of those. The Jaguars aren't going to do it. The Lions aren't going to do it. Texans, who knows? Jets, no. I think it's the Giants or the Panthers. And now that the Giants have invested in Daniel Jones, I don't trust them. So I don't think you're going to see that this offseason. Yeah, I don't think you see a team that is going to have a Bengals type season where it's, we look at them and we go, okay, that's a team that's got better odds to go get a first overall pick than it is to go win the Super Bowl. Because with the Bengals, I mean, look, we saw Jamar Chase. We saw uh, they had T. Higgins. Now, and they had made upgrades defensively, but they had that guy at quarterback that you looked at, Joe Burrow. When he got drafted first overall two years ago, I thought Joe Burrow was going to be a top five quarterback at some point, and I still believe he could be. So they had the guy at quarterback. All these teams here I look at, they don't have the guy. Maybe Jacksonville does in – Trevor Lawrence, I, I want to wait and see on him because I did not see a lot of improvements from him throughout the season this year. That could have been just the coaching issue, so maybe Jacksonville could do it, but they'd have to add a lot, which would go into this all-in approach. So of this list of teams that we just named off, no, I don't think so because the Lions don't have the quarterback, even though Jared Goff has gotten to a Super Bowl, but that was because of Sean McVay. Texans don't have the guy. The Giants just are in shambles. The Jets, in my opinion, I think they have the right coach. I don't think they have the right quarterback, but we'll see how Zach Wilson develops. And then you look at the Carolina Panthers. They got the pieces on defense, but they'd have to go the all-in approach and go get a solid quarterback. I, think the and I just don't see it happening. I think they have the best path. If you look at the NFC South, Tampa doesn't have Tom Brady – Probably not going to have Chris Godwin. Their team's going to be look very different this upcoming season. Saints, you have no idea, but without Sean Payton and if Taysom Hill is your number one quarterback, I don't know if I'm trusting them very much. And then you got the Falcons. Panthers have the best path for it, but you got to go get yourself a quarterback better than Sam Darnold. And I don't know who's going to be out there that can do that significant turnaround unless you make some type of big time acquisition, which I don't know if you're going to see that. I'm thinking Rodgers, Wilson, or Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and I just or Jimmy don't... G. Yeah, but I don't know if I'd call him a big acquisition. He helps, but I don't think he's like a big acquisition that puts them over the top. Plus, yeah. there's, they just don't have weapons to surround him. I mean, a lot of people are going to text it now that I just said that. Well, they got Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, well, McCaffrey they have hasn't been for healthy. four games in a, yeah, in a season. He hasn't been healthy. That's why we don't like running backs. That's why BK don't like running backs. Leonard Fournette's fine. Leonard yeah. Fournette is fine. Yeah. Try and convince me that he doesn't help the Bills. I'd love to hear that argument. Well, no, he'll help the Bills, but I mean, he had health issues this year too. Yeah. He missed a lot with Tampa Bay. You're too concerned about running backs, T Bone. You need to think about other things. He's Tanner Hendrickson of Alex Ferrario and his BK and Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletics going to join us to talk a little Blues and Senators. But coming up next, we get into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic joins us in our next segment. But now we get into the junk drawer. And T-Bone, I've made it clear before that I don't like flying. If I have the option, I would probably rather drive. Yeah? Flights creep me out. Really? I don't know why. They just do. definitely much rather fly. Coming from a guy that's done, like, multiple family vacations in a car of 12-plus hours driving. See, like, I hate driving to the destination, but, like, when I get there, I prefer the fact that I didn't have to be on an airplane and go through the, um, the fears that I have. Regardless, I got something that makes flights even creepier. So a passenger on an Air Asia flight that was flying from Malaysia, well, they spotted a, how big was, big was this? They spotted a 40, a 40 pound snake up in the cabinet that was crawling around. Look at this picture, T-Bone. So basically, this is like a shadow of a snake. I think this is a python as it was slithering above them in the air cabinet. I would probably do everything in my power to get out of my seat and demand to be moved to another position because because that'll help. Panic would set in like I, I, I saw Samuel L. Jackson in snakes on a plane. Not here for it. All you need is that glass to break. This thing drops game over for everyone yeah how how the hell to get on the plane i'm assuming somebody brought a pet snake and it just got out but even then i don't know how you'll i don't even think it was i I think it it found its way onto the plane see that's the thing that's the thing that scares me the most about snakes they can find ways into the smallest little area and nudge their way onto some type of i saw a video of one that was underneath the steering wheel on the panel of a car that popped its head out when the person was driving on the highway now what the that hell would, would you do that would be terrifying like it would that basically I could not handle. it would basically be i gotta crash this car and hope that i survive well, and hope that the absurd. snake doesn't survive seems absurd grab that thing and kind of this is, out. this is like I have just unruly fears of of snakes for some reason. Like I live, we live in Missouri, and I at times I'm worried that a snake is going to come up out of the toilet when I sit down. Well, okay, a of all these three scenarios, they seem so rare that I don't think you should be that scared. And B, if I'm terrified of heights and I'm willing to fly, anybody should be willing to fly. No, I mean there's no there's no need. No I mean, need to I be mean, afraid. the fear the fear for flights isn't so much as a snake. As it's just the flight itself, but that adds on to the fear of what could take place. Yeah, see, I don't. I just I don't, don't do snakes. Flying. Well, I don't do snakes either. I mean, I've, I can remember, uh, one time walking around like in our front yard and like stepping, and like I just happened to see something like kind of move down, but near my feet, and it was like I nearly stepped on a snake. So that freaks me out. So I'm not big on snakes either, but like. I'm going to just assume that they're never on a plane and I'm going to be willing to fly. Don't watch Samuel L. Jackson and snakes on a plane. No, trust me. I haven't seen it. So like, no, no concerns. And I probably won't watch it just so I don't have those concerns. 
that, that's just at where I'm someone, at. That. Someone texted in Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Ever try driving with a cicada hornet in your car? Oh, that is Are bad. There, is there something as a cicada hornet? I know there's cicadas. I know there's hornets. Is there a cicada hornet? Because I already hate cicadas. Oh, that's, I got to find out now. I don't think so, right? I think it's just a cicada. Uh, National Geographic, July of 2021. Cicada killer wasps have arrived. You got to be kidding me. We had murder hornets and now we have cicada killer wasps. They're not murder hornets, though, they say. Oh, yeah, oh, I'm okay, out on this. Nice. I'm out on this. I hate cicadas. They're not murder Snakes hornets. and cicadas, the two strangest things that people are afraid of. That would be it for me. Yeah, well, how about this one from the 314? I had a snake in my bathtub after a heavy rain. I lived on the hill at the time. How, how did that happen? I'm telling you, man, they find their way into your pipes and they slither into your house. People should be a lot more concerned about snakes. Just the, the word of advice moving forward, T-Bone. And I'm with you there, but I'm even that just seems like it's one in a million. <laughs> you got anything for us today on the junk drawer? Yeah, okay, so we talked about uh, yesterday the we were going to live 13 years longer by having optimal health. Yeah. I, I saw this. I had cake last night because of that story you told us about. That wasn't the point of the story, but okay. I, I mean, I didn't have my vegetables with my meal either, so I mean, I'm not doing much better. But I saw this, uh, I think I saw it yesterday. CJ Uzama, the tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals, he's getting out of a bet that he made because they lost the Super Bowl. But he said if the Bengals were to win the Super Bowl, he was going to take a bath in Skyline Chili. Ew. I can't even imagine doing that because I can't even. Uzoma said he was going to do that? Yeah. Oh. I'm not a fan of Skyline Chili. So he's getting out of it. They didn't win the Super Bowl. Was it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they win the Super Bowl, he was going to do it. So why is he trying to get out of it? No, no, no. He's not doing it. I'm saying he got lucky. He doesn't oh, have he got to luckily. Yeah, I'd do that. For a Super Bowl win, I'd sit in a bath of Skyline Chili. You oh, no can rinse shot. that stuff off. Oh, I'm not sitting in that stuff. Yeah, now, see, Skyline Chili is different than sand. Sand, you can't get out. Chili, you can rinse off. What? Yeah. I would much rather sit in sand than Skyline Chili. No. It's no. And it's going to be warm. Or you just room temperature. No, no, no. Someone... This is, <laughs> Lukewarm Skyline Chili. Someone texted and said, would you rather watch Snakes on a Plane or Final Destination before a flight? Probably Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane, 100%. That's the other reason why I'm afraid of flights, because of Final Destination. And maybe I got lucky because, like, I've only flown once, just kind of, or actually twice, but only once on, like, commercial airplane. The other was, like, a small rinky-dink plane in my hometown. That was terrifying. But... I sat in the middle between a married couple, so like maybe that was why. It was why easy. would you sit in the middle of a married couple? Wouldn't you? No, wouldn't no, you because, switch seats with one of them? No, because I didn't know they were married until the flight ended. So what happened was when I was when I was boarding the plane, we were on like the last. I think it's like A, B, C. We're to board. We were in C, and all the like main seats. You know, the inside was taken, the outside was taken, and there was just this middle seat. So I just assumed, you know. The girl was on here first. She got to the window. This guy was last. He got, you know, he took the outside. So I said, is that middle seat open? They said, sure. So I sat down between them. They didn't talk the entire time. Oh, so I just assumed it was two different people. Dispute. Yeah. Well, and good for you. The next thing I know is the guy says to me when they're like taking the suitcases down from above, he goes, hey, go ahead and get out. I'm waiting on my wife. And I'm like looking around, where's his wife at? And, and then she gets up and walks towards him. I was like, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> 
I think a T-bone just I ruined. Saw, you know, if they had T-bone just issues, ruining, I could have been there for T-bone him. just ruining marriages, sitting in the middle of them on an my airplane. Fault. I could have been there for With him. Tanner Hendrickson of Alex Ferrari. We'll take a break. When we come back, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Blues get set for the Senators. We'll get his thoughts on the game tonight, the upcoming road trip, and the trade deadline. Jeremy Rutherford next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario, Blues in action tonight. The first of four on the road. Four straight games. They come home against the Buffalo Sabres, and they go back on the road. Eight of their next nine games played away from Enterprise Center. Puck drop tonight at 6 o'clock with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I've got your pregame starting at 5 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. And to talk about tonight's game, to talk about this Blues team, we welcome in the athletic insider, our insider here on 101. He is Jeremy Rutherford. For JR, how are you today, buddy? Doing well, Alex. Tanner, how are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. No BK today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. JR, let's start with just the Blues going back out onto the road. Uh, I was looking at this. They've actually been better than what I think people will give them credit for in terms of the road games. They've won three of their last five going back to the start of January, but they are still a little over like one game over 500 and now they're going into Canada. Is this kind of the next big check mark for this blues team to accomplish? Yeah, I think it is, uh, you know, but I would kind of put it in context of, you know, not just the way we're looking at it, but uh, big picture 18, six and two at home played really well at home. And I think, uh, you know, so when you start to look for flaws or areas that they can be better, you look at uh, that road record, nine, eight, and three. But as you said, you know, played pretty well on the road recently. But now as you look down the stretch, what were 21 of their last 38 games, I believe, going to be on the road. So uh, that's a lot. And, and so you need to play well in those games. And, uh, you know, listening to Craig Bruby and some of the players the past couple of days, they definitely realize that. You need to win some face-offs. You know, you, you can't start uh, defensively every draw and uh, and you're chasing the game a little bit, and so I think they're going to be need to be better in that area. You know, I think getting in on the forecheck is going to be important on the road. They got to play that heavy brand that they played against Chicago. It, it was back. We saw it, so we know that they're capable of it. You know, and you're going to need good goaltending. Billy Huso has uh, getting the run here lately, so he'll start again tonight against Ottawa, and I, I think that'll help, too, with the road play. So a number of things that are going to go into it. Jared, speaking of that heavy play, you know, we've talked a lot about the fourth line over these last couple of days, uh, you know, noticeable in that game against the Chicago Blackhawks. I thought they were noticeable against the Devils as well. Are we starting to see an identity line for Craig Berube with Costin, Sunquist, and Dakota Joshua? Yeah, I think so. And, and look, uh, Craig Bruby said a week or so ago, he said, Doug and I had a talk and we wanted to create how we wanted to, that fourth line to look. And what did they do? They put Perenovich on long-term injury reserve and they called up Dakota Joshua. They put him in the middle and he looks great. You know, I've always liked uh, the way that Dakota Joshua plays. And Costin too, I really do think that he's been coming into his own these last two games. And maybe it's because They've put that line together, and, and they do have an identity. But, you know, Costin's skating right now. That's the thing that Craig Bruby told me a couple of days ago. I said, well, you know, what's the key to his development here? He said he's skating. So, you know, we know he can hit. We know he can be physical. But when he skates, he put himself in position the other night to score a goal. And Sunquist is Sunquist. I don't think that we're going to uh, see him up to 100% this year as he comes back from those injuries. But you know you're going to get a hard effort 
every night. I do think that that line has been good the past couple of games, and they're kind of leading the way. I think they're going to need that, Jr. on this road trip. And tell me if you disagree with this, but when you're taking on teams like the Ottawa Senators, the Montreal Canadiens, the Philadelphia Flyers, teams who are at the bottom of the stand, the divisions in the Eastern Conference, you're going to need to find ways to spark energy. And I think if you have a 50% or less capacity building taking on bad teams, the only way you can spark that energy is to have a fourth line who goes out there and starts with physicality. It's a great, great point. And we've seen this Blues team play down to the competition. They didn't do it the other night necessarily. You know, in Chicago, you know, I, I felt that they uh, got their game together and they had that killer instinct in the third period. But sometimes, Alex, you've seen it too with this Blues team, is they'll play like that for a game and think, okay, well, we straighten that out. You know, we had the killer instinct in the third period. We handled a, a bad team. We didn't play it down to the competition. You know, then you got two more coming up in Ottawa and Montreal, and you just revert to your to your old habits of uh, not closing them out, not doing the things that you did against that Chicago team. So to me, yes. You know, the the physicality, getting out there, leading the way for that fourth line, I think is why Craig Bruby has them together. And, uh, you know, I do think they're going to have to be not necessarily difference makers, but just a contributing factor in these road games. Again, we're talking with Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic Blues Insider, who's with us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on BK and Ferrario. Jer, I was looking at this when we opened up our show today and talking about the stinginess of this defense and how that has to be the area of improvement. They've only had seven games this season where they've allowed 25 or less shots uh, for their opponent. They've had 20 games where they've allowed less than 30 shots. Is what we saw against the Blackhawks on Saturday sustainable for this defense? Not just the the defensemen, but defense as a whole. No, I don't think so. I mean, what you're talking about, 16 shots. Uh, Huso, by the way, a couple dandy saves in those 16 shots. So it wasn't just like uh, he had a light workload. He, he really had to come up with some big ones. But as far as the defense... You know, I think this is a team that they're probably going to give up 20, 25 shots or, or maybe maybe more. Uh, I don't think that's uh, sustainable, not just for the Blues, but for any team. So um, they're going to have to be tighter. You know, I know without Marco Scandella, he's on the trip, uh, but uh, is not in the lineup. Uh, Jake Wallman's going to get an opportunity. You know, had some hiccups in the game the other night. Prinovich has a couple more games that he's got to sit out. He's required to sit out because of the long-term injury reserve. So, you know, I think if he can get back in there, he's a good puck mover. He can help them uh, get it out. But, uh, you know, I, I think that once you get through this part of the schedule where you got the Ottawa's and the Montreal's and the Chicago's and those guys, you're going to take on some much better teams, you know, that are going to be pushing 30 shots. So you're going to have to be good, not just – the defensemen we always talk about, but the, the forwards getting back and helping out and clearing the puck out. Jer, where are you at with Marco Scandella? Uh, I, mean, I mean, he's locked up for the next couple of years. Is he a part of this team moving forward, Just not just this season, but in the next couple of years? I think, uh, you know, Doug Armstrong, if he hasn't already, he's exploring, you know, what can he do? You know, perhaps that, like we always say, that's an off-season type thing. You know, is that is he part of a package where you know the other team is enticed by a deal with the Blues to the point that they would take Marco Scandella's contract for the next couple of years? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that team's out there. If he's on this team and there's no takers, Alex, look, he's going to have to be a, a third pair guy and potentially a, a seven guy at, at times. You know, I know he helps your PK. You know, I know he's a liked teammate. You know, I just don't know you know, where he fits. He he doesn't fit in your top four to me. And, you know, on some nights, you know, I think you might have a better option uh, with your third pair. And especially if you go out and add on defense at the deadline, if you bring in one of these guys that we're talking about, Alex, 
you know, it's going to push Mikola down the lineup and, and where's the room for Scandella. So I think that's where I'm at with him. And Jr. speaking of trade kind of chips, how do the Blues view Jake Neighbors? Is he kind of an asset that's untouchable in their minds when it comes down to trade negotiations? So here's the thing with Jake. You know, I think he's almost in t- uh, untouchable. Um, I wouldn't say that that's a guarantee. If the absolute right deal came along, you know, let's just say Chikrin or, or you know somebody defensively who makes sense in terms of a hockey trade, not just a rental. Um, you know, I think they would consider it. Now, having said that, they really like him. They think he has a, an amazing future. They don't want to give him up. Uh, but you know, how many assets do you really have if you're in the organization? if you want to make a big deal. So, you know, I guess it depends on whether that big deal would come to fruition, whether they'd have to consider moving Jake neighbors. You know, I can tell you that they, they don't want to, they like him, uh, but I don't think you can absolutely rule out him being part of something. You know, Jer, we had this uh, topic a little bit ago on the show today as well. If, if there, I guess it's a two part question. Could you see a scenario where Doug Armstrong doesn't make a move for a defenseman, and do you feel like that's a loss if he doesn't? Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, I, I always, you know, I hate painting myself in a corner where you say, you know, never say never. Uh, but I do think that he has to make that move. I think that this team is glaring. They need a defenseman. You got a team that can win. Uh, you're going to get into the playoffs. And, you know, at that point, obviously you can't be making deals at that time and you're going to be lacking in that area. And and so I think Doug, you know, is as smart as they come, you know, he's made these moves in the past. He's made the right move. Matter of fact, uh, I had to interview Scotty Bowman yesterday for a separate article that I'm working on. And at the end, he always wants to talk hockey, right? He said, so what's going on with what's going on with the blues? And, you know, he knows uh, probably more about how they're doing than I do. He pays attention, you know, so well. And so anyway, I said, well, you know, Doug, might need to uh, add a defenseman, and he goes, he will, he will. <laughs> Doug knows what to do. So, you know, Scotty Bowman on the other end of the phone saying, he will, he will. <laughs> so, you, know, uh, you know what's funny about that, Jared? I, I forgot, T-Bone, who we talked to a couple of weeks ago, but we were talking about this team. I think it was Darren Dreger, actually, and he basically said, it's obvious they need help on defense, and Doug Armstrong's going to make an upgrade there. And it's so interesting to hear the confidence from so many people because they've seen it from Doug Armstrong. But that's why it's like, if I look at it and say, yeah, he doesn't make a move to me, uh, he's, he's earned the trust where it's like, okay, obviously it either costs too much or the guys that they were getting, they don't believe is better than what they have internally. Well, that's exactly it. And that's why I, you know, never say never, because if, if Doug doesn't make a move and look, we've seen it for the past 15 trade deadlines, I think that I've covered, you know, the people <laughs> go, the people go nuts, right. You know, like you had to make a move, Doug, you had to, well, guess what? Maybe it costs neighbors, Perinovich, two first, what, what have you. We don't know what those conversations are. So, you know, I guess the way we should put it is that Doug Armstrong is going to do everything in his might to make a move, you know, within what the organization has to, to, to trade. And, and so I think that's going to be the situation. But I would think, you know, like I just said, if he doesn't make a move, the price was too high, it didn't fit. You know, the guys he was looking at went to other teams for, for bigger packages. Something would have to be involved in that situation to uh, for him not to make a move. It'll be interesting. He's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Does great work covering this Blues team. Check him out on Twitter at JP Rutherford. And, of course, make sure you're subscribed to The Athletic. JR, always appreciate the time, buddy. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Awesome, guys. Thanks a lot. There you go. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. And that's where I'm at, T-Bone. I mean, look, Scotty Bowman, who I can – 
second what JR said. The guy pays attention to hockey on a daily basis. And that's a guy who says, oh, he's going to make an upgrade. Darren Dreger told us, yeah, he's going to make an upgrade. I think it's pretty evident that Doug Armstrong knows that there has to be an upgrade on defense. But that's just where I get at, where if he doesn't make a move, I look at it as, okay, he obviously thought it was too much to acquire a guy that wasn't going to benefit them beyond this year, or he felt like whomever was out there wasn't going to be a better and a bigger enough upgrade than what they have right now. Yeah, and that's how Army will, you mentioned, I mean, that's how he'll weigh it, is he'll look at it and say, okay, what is the, what do we kind of value this guy at? There's no way we value him at that. We're not going to go pull the trigger for him. So it will be interesting to see what, if Doug Armstrong is able to pull off a deal for a defenseman. I do believe he'll make a move. I just don't know if it'll be as big as what I'm kind of yeah. imagining the Blues doing because I'm kind of viewing those top guys that we've talked about, the Giordano's, the Chikrin's, the... Uh, Marco Giordano's, those are the guys that I think they're going to make that move for. But I could see Doug Armstrong going kind of that second tier, the, uh, what's your boy's name, Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves from New Jersey. I I could see them doing some kind of move, something like that, that they think can help them upgrade. Whether that means they're going to put make a move that pushes Mikla down to the third pairing, or if they're going to make a move to where it just kind of pairs someone up with Bortuzzo and they can keep Mikla on that top pairing. He's Tanner Hendrickson of Alex Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. Dan McLaughlin, Cardinals broadcaster, joins us for our weekly hit. But coming up next, send us your scenarios on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Bet it or forget it is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. You're quick on the trigger. That was better than what it's been in the past, but it was okay. It was okay. I'm, I'm gaining knowledge in I'll this give you. I'll give you about a 6 out of 10. I'll take on six that out one. Of ten. It's not a believe it or not day, so you're probably sp- saving your best stuff for Thursday, right? Yeah, for sure. No, it is bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Danny Mack is going to join us coming up in our next segment. It's 122, your time check presented by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Bet it or forget it. Send us the scenarios on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll tell you if we're going to bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one. Bet it or forget it. Major League Baseball misses one regular season game. They'll miss 50 regular season games. So basically saying if they miss one, they're going to miss 50. Oh, boy. 50 would take you up to what? Middle of May, end of May? Uh, You start the end of March. You pretty much get two months out. You're missing about two months. Uh, I'm going to forget this because I want to be optimistic. I want to live longer. I I hope baseball doesn't do it, but I could easily see them missing 50 games. I think for sure you missed the first month. Um, After that, hopefully it's not. Hopefully the deal gets done to where that first month is spring training and not that a deal is getting wrapped up after the first month. So I'll forget this. I I think they would... it's definitely leaning towards they're going to miss games. I just don't know if it's going to be 50. I'm hopeful it's not, so I'll forget this. Yeah, see, I'm going to forget this as well. I don't know if they're going to miss games still. Uh, for some reason, I'm still on this train. I don't know what that kill date is that Major League Baseball and the players signed of like, hey, we got to get things done by this time. I think BT said yesterday it's pretty much two weeks from now. They have to have a deal to make sure they don't miss any any regular season games. 
but I don't think they're going to miss 50. I think if they miss one, it'll light a fire underneath them, and you'll probably see maybe a month missed, but I don't think you're going to see 50 games missed. That's two That's two months worth of games missed. I just don't know if you're going to get to that point. What are you smiling at? I just read a text. Are they telling you you need to get into a little bit more? Yeah, the 618. You got to get into it, T-Bone. Like, you just got a new stamp for the collection. Well, you do collect stamps. Remember, we talked about this one. Don't collect stamps. Bet it or forget it on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Bet it or forget it from the 314. Bennington returns to being your number one starter this season. Ah, oh, man. I'm going to forget it because I, I think right now, until it is Husso's net to lose, and until Husso really kind of goes through a bit of a struggle, a spell where he struggles, then I don't think he's going to lose that number one spot in being the goaltender, unless he struggles. If not, what I what I think is going to happen is he'll Husso will be the guy they ride out. Biddington may get back to form. I just don't know if he'll get the number one job. It just depends on how Husso does in my mind, because I'm not going to hand it back over to Biddington until Husso struggles. So right now, I'm going to say I'm going to forget this. I'm going to forget this as well. I think the way we've seen Ville Husso perform, he's confident right now. And maybe he goes through a little bit of a dry spell. Maybe Jordan Bennington gets a couple of starts. But I think the way that Ville Husso is performing, this team knows what they have. And if they're going to go all in, they're going to get somebody that can back up the goaltender who's playing hot. And I just don't know if Bennington... I think next year he returns to that number one form. I think next year he's going to... I think there's going to be a lot of time spent in the offseason trying to fix the area that he's struggling with right now but i just don't know if it's going to be this season but again if something happens to Huso, you go back to him and we've seen stranger things where a guy gets the net once again after he had it taken away from him and he returns to the form that uh, that he had previously uh better forget it on the air coverage service text line 65780 jordan kairu finishes the season with more goals than vladimir tarasenko uh, easy <laughs> bad it that, that fast huh Actually, so right now, Tarasenko's got yet? 16. Kairou has 18. Both have played 42 games. I'll bet this, and the reason I'll bet this, besides my comment from last year, I think Kairou will be better than Vladdy in his prime, is so far Kairou's been pretty consistent in terms of his goal scoring slash uh, his tallying of points. I think we're in another stretch for Vladdy, if I'm not mistaken, is in, what, an eight-game goalless drought, if I'm not mistaken? Well, he scored in... Saturday's game against Chicago. Right, so he ended a eight-game goalless drought. And I thought maybe it was. I was because I, I know that he had points. I just don't know if he had goals. But go on. But he's a he's a streaky goal scorer, and I, I think that's part of the reason why I look at Vladdy and I say, look, he'll be up there in the Blues. He'll be top five for sure, probably top three. But Cairo to me is more consistent than Vladdy is. I mean, he was on a bit of a goalless. Uh, he had the ten-game goalless drought earlier this season, so. He's just a guy that, and you know you're going to get that with Vladdy. That's been kind of his MO here in St. Louis is he plays really well. He goes through streaks where he's really hot, but he also has those streaks where he's really cold. So far, Cairo this season has been pretty darn consistent. So I'll go with Jordan Cairo, bet that. So Vladdy had a six-game goalless drought. He scored against the Winnipeg Jets in their final game before the break. And then he, of course, scored against Chicago. So he's got two goals in his last three. I'm going to forget this one. Um... I think Vladdy with Robert Thomas and not Jordan Cairo is going to give Vladdy more of an opportunity to get goals. Not saying that. I, I think Craig Berube said it best when he broke up that line. He said, you just got two guys that want the puck and it's tough to get scoring opportunities. Whereas if you look at the line Cairo with O'Reilly and Shen, those guys pressure the puck. Cairo's the goal scorer. 
Tarasenko's the goal scorer, and you got two guys who pass the puck in Buchnevich and Robert Thomas. Buchnevich can score goals as well. I think Vladdy's going to go on a little bit of a streak here in the second half of the season because they broke up that line with Cairo. I would say you're going to see Cairo and Tarasenko be on a pretty good pace consistently, but I think it's probably going to go more in favor of Vladimir Tarasenko. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Better to forget it from the 618. Ivan Barbashev finishes the season with at least at least 60 points. Right now he's at 34 and 45 games. So uh, what would that be? Gats. It's almost like point per game he's going to need. Yeah, so he's missed two games. So you got about 25, 35 games left for him, and he's 26 points away from that. So 25 points in 35 games. It's going to be tough. I was going to say, that seems like a lot. I think I'll forget this. I I think he'll be about 55 to 60. I think that's probably the range that he'll be in because he's going to be playing third line probably. And at some point, the third line is going to have just a little bit fewer minutes in the top two. So I'll say I'll forget this. Plus, if, depending on who he's with, like right now he's with Saad and Pran. Those those guys are going to be more of the goal scorer. Well, I guess they'll help him out in terms of points in this scenario. I, I think I'm just going to I'm going to forget it. I think 65 just seems like a lot. I, I think he's 55 to 60. Yeah, um, I'm going to bet this one. I think I think Barbashev can get things going a little bit more. I think the fact that Logan Brown was skating with that line yesterday might be an eye opener for Ivan Barbashev. Here's the thing though. We talked about this earlier. Like for him, I just need you to play solid defensively, even if you don't get to those points. But I do think he can get to 60 points uh, this season, as long as he stays in that spot and stays healthy. So I'm going to say, I'm going to bet this one uh, for Ivan Barbashev getting to 60 final one. Let's get to on the air comfort service text line, bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Scott Mayfield is actually a defenseman that the Blues acquire at the trade deadline. Scott Mayfield, of course, is St. Louis native, playing with the New York Islanders. Oh, man. I did just say that I could see Army going without one of those top three names that we've talked about. I'll forget this. I I still think Giordano's or Sherrod are probably the two guys. I I really do. I I think their asking price, especially for Giordano, is going to come down at some point. So I'll forget this. I don't know if Scott Mayfield's the guy that the Blues will look at. I'm going to forget this as well. Not because of that. I think he would be the guy. I just don't know if the Islanders are going to trade them or trade him because he's got one more year of control. He's a good defenseman for him. And I think they're going to try and compete again next year. So I say Scott Mayfield is just not a guy that they're going to acquire come trade deadline time. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Dan McLaughlin, Cardinals broadcaster, joins us next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's a Tuesday, which means I always look forward to our conversations with Dan McLaughlin, Cardinals broadcaster. He joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Danny Mack, how are you today, buddy? I am doing well. How about you guys? Doing fantastic. I want to bring you in on a conversation T-Bone and I had uh, earlier in the show. We were talking about, uh, it looks like we're going to have a shortened spring training, although we haven't had that confirmed yet. Uh, But with these ongoing negotiations, 
How much do you feel like a shortened spring training affects the Cardinals' decisions with their roster this year, Dan? Well, it depends how short we're talking about. I mean, you know, the players are supposed to be in there today. So if we're talking about shortening from six weeks to four weeks, I don't know if it's that big of a deal, but, you know, the, they've talked about both sides wanting to get three and a half, four weeks in. So you will get an evaluation period, and we've mentioned it before how players do come in ready to go. They're in shape. It's really for the pitchers to build up the strength and get ready for a regular season. I, I think you'd love to have all eyes on on people like, let's say, a Nolan Gorman who's got a chance to make the team or some of the guys that you think are battling for a position or a spot like Juan Yepes, maybe some others. Uh, Paul DeYoung, I think it's important for him. But overall, if they're going to have a normal spring, meaning three and a half to four weeks of games and maybe a week of inner squad and just some of the, the various things that you go through, the drills, I'm not sure it's going to be that big of a deal. Danny Mac, we were talking earlier in the show, too, also about uh, Dylan Carlson. This is going to be his second full season with the Cardinals. And, you know, I brought it up. He had kind of a under-the-radar rookie year. We didn't really talk about him a whole lot. He was very consistent, 266, 18 homers, 65 RBI, 780 OPS, finished third in Rookie of the Year voting this past season. Uh, what are kind of your expectations for him in his second season this year? Well, just keep getting better. Um, I, I don't think, to your point, Tanner, we talk about him enough. Uh, and it, maybe it's just because of his disposition and the way that he carries himself. He's fairly quiet. You don't see a lot of emotion on the field. He's not one out there grabbing a bunch of headlines. He just goes about his business, and he did it as a rookie last year. Remember playing center field as well. They had to move him around, and then the year before that, the game that they're eliminated in in San Diego, he's batting cleanup, and you're asking a lot for a guy that is 20, 21, now 22 and I, I think if we're having this conversation in three years, my expectations would be through the roof, but I try to temper them because he's still learning and growing and getting into that body and understanding he's going to play every day. But I, I just think the guy's going to be an absolute stud and someone that is here for a long, long time. So the expectations for next year improve a little bit, uh, but for the most part, fairly consistent. And, uh, and so my expectations are you'll, you'll see another solid year out of uh, out of Dylan Carlson. What's best case scenario for, for Carlson, Dan, this season? Is it just taking over and, and being the permanent two-hole hitter for this team? That's a good question, too. I, I think you may see with Ollie, he's going to vary up his his lineup. So I think, you know, you talk about does he do you put him in the two-hole? Well, he gives you flexibility because of, of his ability to, to switch hit. So if there's a lefty on the mound and you want to load it up with righties, he's more near the top. Maybe he's even a leadoff guy. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure that they would say, okay, you're, you're going to be the number two guy every single day. I, I think there's going to be a bearing up of the lineups, but I think you'll see him in the first one through five probably every single night. We're talking with Cardinals broadcaster Dan McLaughlin here on BK and Ferrario. He's with us on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. So, Dan, I mentioned this too with Carlson. You know, you want him to get those reps. You want him to turn into that fourth bat, that big bat for the team. Do you see a possibility, though, of the Cardinals possibly looking at the market when things open back up, finding a one-year deal for maybe that bridge bat so that like a Nelson Cruz or something like that to come in to be the bat that you expect him to be but take some of that pressure off of Dylan Carlson? Well, I think if they did it, it would be a left-handed bat. Now, if you know a guy like Nelson Cruz falls in your lap and it's a reasonable deal and it's one year, Sure. I mean, you, you take a hard look at that and say, why not? Um, 
Kyle Schwarber makes a lot of sense, especially with now what we know as being the DH for sure. We've been talking about this a bunch. Um, they could go with a DH by committee, but uh, when I look at this team, you know, if you could get a thumper from the left side, and maybe they have it. Maybe they feel that it's Nolan Gorman and, and he's ready to graduate to the big leagues and not worry about him finding a position defensively, but play him as your DH. Um, that's something they could look at. But they're in a, a unique spot where you have these young players coming and do you want to you know, go out and sign a guy and pay him a bunch of money, and in doing so, you maybe have to give him multiple years to where uh, that you're, you're blocking some of your young players, or you have to get uh, creative in trying to create roster space and, and a roster move. I'm not sure which direction they go. My gut feeling tells me that they're going to go with what they have internally. We'll see. They may, they may come out when they say, hey, we have a deal, and they go out and sign Kyle Schwarber. Who knows? But a left-handed bat, this is a very right-handed hitting lineup. I think a left-handed bat would make a lot of sense. So, Danny Meg, how do you think the Cardinals kind of stack up in the Central Division? Do you think they're ahead of Milwaukee right now with what they have, or do you think they're maybe just like one move, whether it be a bullpen arm or kind of that left-handed bat that you're talking about that puts them ahead of Milwaukee as the favorite in the Central Division this year? I do think they're the favorite going in. Uh, I'll be really curious, guys, of what the Cubs do. So what if Anthony Rizzo goes back and plays first base and they sign Carlos Correa and they've already signed Marcus Stroman? Um, that makes them a very dangerous team. All of a sudden, you weren't thinking about them, but that makes them dangerous. I'll be curious what they do in Milwaukee because they have such good pitching. And for the Cardinals, I do think they need to find a bullpen arm. Now, whether that's a veteran or uh, a guy like a Ryan Tapera who's uh, you know got what would look to be a good fit in St. Louis, I just think you can't have enough pitching. And I understand that some of the guys that they have coming back will go to their bullpen. I get that. But I still would like to see a veteran arm of some sort. And if they do that, then they're, they're going to be very, very tough to beat. Dan, final one for you. As always, we appreciate your time with us here on BK and Ferrario. When you look at the National League and when things open back up, is there a team that stands out to you that you feel like could be really aggressive with these guys that are still on the market? Just mention one of them, you know, the Chicago Cubs. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, and I, I think it's a tough question to answer because all these teams have had time to kind of catch their breath and really evaluate, you know, how the market, uh, basically develops before, uh, the game was shut down or we were locked out. So you have a better idea of what this could look like. Now on the flip side of that, there's going to be a lot of guys that are in desperation mode and maybe some of the price tags begin to drop and they fall into particular organizations laps where they they thought hey prior to december 1st this guy was awfully expensive but now we're four weeks away from the start of a a regular season and there's three to four hundred jobs that uh, guys are looking for in terms of free agents and if you you count minor league free agents it's almost up to 600 that some of these guys become desperate and say i don't want to be on the outside looking in and they accept a, a lesser offer than maybe what you were thinking with, about and thinking with, with a particular individual before December. So I don't think we know the answer to that, Alex, and I think it could be a lot of fun, and, and maybe some of those bargains could wind up uh, in the laps of the Cardinals or some of these other teams are talking about. Yeah, I really get to the, I'm really hoping we get to the point sooner rather than later where we can get into these conversations, Dan. Thank you so much, as always, for hopping on with us, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Thanks. There you go. Dan McLaughlin, Cardinals broadcaster. We got the BK and Ferrario Rewind next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to.
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Winding things down. The fast lane coming up between two and six. Blues in action, two and five. They're not on the air at five. I'm on the air at five for my pregame show because it's Blues and Senators. 4-1 win. Puck drop at six. Zach Sanford scoring the one goal for Ottawa. That's right. And we're going to have a Barbie goal tonight. It's going to be. Do you want to put a bet down on that? I mean, I'm sure I can get good odds on if I sure try and predict every goal score. I'm sure you could get great odds on that one. If you miss anything from the podcast today, you can check it out afterwards uh, on 101ESPN.com. The podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford was on with us at the top of this hour, and we talked with him about the trade deadline and, of course, the defensive side of things. And, and T-Bone, as we do our BK and Ferrario Rewind, I want to go back to a conversation that we had about the possibility of the Blues not making move at the trade deadline because we're all under the assumption they need help on defense. Looking at this team, looking at the teams in the Western Conference, you got to be better defensively if you want to win the Stanley Cup this season. But I also think there is a scenario where the Blues just look at the trade deadline, look at the asking price, and say, nope, we're not doing this. JR talked a little bit about it. You asked him if possibly Jake Neighbors is overvalued by us when it comes to how other teams look at Jake Neighbors. JR said maybe, but for this team, they see the potential with him. He's not considered untouchable if the right move comes along. But that right move has to be a guy who plays in your top four, who's controllable beyond this season. And he's in Arizona. And I don't think you're going to get that move with Justin. Corey Pronman of The Athletic doesn't think you're getting that move with just Neighbors, Perunovic, and a first-round draft pick. So if it's not Chikrin... I'm not going to be going all in in terms of prospects for a guy who's here for a couple of months, if that makes sense. Which is why, if it's the second tier of guys, Scott Mayfield, Zdeno Chara, I don't think Ryan Graves would demand that much from New Jersey. You weigh the possibility of, you know what, we'll go get these guys for a second or third round draft pick, maybe a mid-tier prospect that's not going to affect us. Then you ask yourself the question, are those guys better than what you have right now? That's why I come to the assumption that if they don't make a move at the deadline, I don't think it's the worst case scenario. Yeah, and I look at the numbers and I say, okay, they are, I think the numbers were 21st in shots against, and they're like 28th or 20, yeah, excuse me, 26th in high danger scoring chances against. So I find it hard to believe that we're going to look at the trade deadline and say there's one guy that we can't at least pick out that we can say that's going to upgrade the defense. I understand where you're coming from and saying, look, I agree. Doug Armstrong should not break the bank for a rental player and give up like three first round picks and two prospects. No, but I do think there is going to be a point where it is going to come down to, Hey, we want, let's say it is a first round pick and we want to, we want a second round pick as well. There's probably going to be a puke point. And I think if it comes down to, okay, this guy's definitely going to fit into our top four. Sure, we're at a puke point, but I think we may have to reach it because I think we desperately need help for a defenseman to improve the improve this defense. Because looking at the advanced metrics, and I know BK's not here to give me all these numbers that I don't even understand he's, what they he ain't mean. He got the nerdy numbers, but numbers, numbers. What is that? I don't know. It's been a rough. Should day I have today. dumped that? Was that even appropriate for you? Yeah, it's appropriate. Okay, numbers. But 
just looking at the advanced numbers, it almost looks like, you know, the Blues are overperforming with their offense. And I get it. Their offense is great. And they're I understand they're not going to be a defensive shutdown team like they were in 2019, but they need to at least get the numbers up. They need to become more of an average defensive team. And right now, I just think they're below average. Yeah, and I was going back to that article in The Athletic that Pierre Lebrun had talking with Doug Armstrong. And Doug Armstrong talked about how they've been aggressive in the past. They've traded away draft picks in the offseason to get guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen. And he mentioned the fact that, you know, you're aggressive an awful lot. You have to actually look at where you stand right now and remember they have a first round pick for the next three years but they don't have a second round pick this year so I guess it comes down to how aggressive you want to get where I know a lot of Blues fans are saying you got to go all in when you have the offense that is this Blues team we'll see what they look like tonight against the Ottawa Senators again six o'clock puck drop with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale I've got your first community credit union pregame starting at five here on 101 ESPN for Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kylie, I'm Alex Ferrario we will be back with you tomorrow from 11 to 2 stay Stay tuned, though. The Fast Lane, Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter, Brad Thompson, Andrew Marsh. They come your way next until 5 o'clock here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs and high-capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select GE kitchen packages at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.